Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right, everything is rolling. <coughs> All right, in three, two, one. Hi, this is Rigor, and this is The East Meets the West with my co-host, Patsy the Angry Nerd. This is the show in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. Today, we're going to go to the 5 and 10 cent store as we cover the Shaw film, Ten Tigers of Quang Tung, from 1980, starring the Venom Mob and a veritable who's who of Shaw Brothers kung fu stars, and the spaghetti western The Five-Man Army from 1969, starring Peter Graves and Bud Spencer. What's happening, Pat? Everybody have fun tonight. Everybody quang tongue tonight. <laughs> That's how I feel today. That's it. the first thing I thought of when I saw the title of the films that we're working with. Um, I'm doing all right. This was uh, this is some uh, some weird, wild stuff. Uh, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, there's there's some familiar stuff, and there's some new things that happened because. I know we'll talk about this, but one of my favorite things when we watch Shaw Brothers films is watching out for new weapons that people use. Yes. And this one, I've never seen anyone use ever in anything. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that for now. But uh, and as far as familiar, Bud Spencer doing his thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Same thing he always does. Yeah. All right. So um, I just wanted to mention for, to the folks at home, after today's Shaw Brothers film, there are five more Venom movies with the Venoms, which is defined as a film that has three or more of them in it. There's uh, Sword Stained with Royal Blood, Masked Avengers, Ruthless, Taxi- Ru- Ruthless Tactics, not Ruthless Taxes, also known as Ninja and the Deadly Trap, 
House of Traps, and Ode to Gallantry. Now, we already covered Masked Avengers in Episode 5 because at the time we didn't have all the Venom films, so technically there's only four more films to go with these guys. And the reason I bring this up is because originally we were planning to do the last Venom film on our 20th episode, but we did that two-part primer series, and that sort of bumped us over because we had a spl- it was would have been one episode, but we had to split into two because it was so long. So um, we've got a special Western already lined up for episode 20 and a, a non-Venoms film for that episode as well. Um, I'm not going to say what the films are just yet, but we may have a special guest or two on it. So um, we'll leave that as a surprise. Maybe um, on episode 19 at the end, we'll, we'll mention what's going on with the 20th. Um, And if you're new to the show, the Venom Mob, or the Five Weapons Guys, as they are also known, are the actors that appeared in the movie Five Deadly Venoms in 1978, which we covered way back in episode one. They acted together in some fashion for 18 more films after that. So please check out that episode as well as our two-part Primer episode to catch up to speed on what we've been talking about here. And then if you haven't had a chance, go through and listen to our other discussions on the Venom films. So, first up today is the 10 Tigers of, let's hear it, Everybody Quang Tongue Tonight, <laughs> from 1980. I keep saying of as well, it's from, I keep saying of. Yeah, well, it's technically it's both. Tigers, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I keep saying of, and every time I'm like, oh, it's 10 Tigers, and every time I go to like search it, it's like, nope, it's from, stupid. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> I know I saw of, there's a reason I keep thinking of, and yeah, I guess it's it does both because there's a lot of you know the, the 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 translations are always similar right so either is acceptable right <laughs> um and yeah the u.s tv title was the the 10 flying tigers just to add a little confusion there nobody flew i mean <laughs> right. you know they jumped pretty high <laughs> and did some crazy leaps but no, nobody flew in this right right exactly Ten Tigers of Kwantung in a ferocious and spectacular battle against Manchu mercenaries. No mercy asked, none given, as the Ten Tigers take on an army of killers in a head-to-head battle to the death. The Ten Tigers, ten tons of TNT, ten times the Kung Fu action, Ten Tigers of Kwantung. The movie involves two stories concerning the original Ten Tigers and their future disciples. The film opens in what I'm going to call the present. Not our present, but the present in the timeline of the film, which is still probably two or three hundred years ago for us, with Tung Chi and his nephew Liang Xiaohu. The two enter the lucky gambling house and spot five of the Tiger's disciples, targeting them for revenge. Realizing that they can't take on all five at once, they wait for an opportunity when one of them, Tang Chong, the casino security guard, and nephew of Tan Ling, who we'll get to later, is by himself. They seize the moment, kill him, and flee the scene. The other four are alluded to this and quickly, in only a way that happens in movies, snap out of their drunken stupor to see what happened. The remaining members of the group deduce the meaning of the, atta- of the attack. The answers are traced back to events that took place years before. Wang Chao Ming and Lin Fu Sheng tell the story of the events concerning the forming of the famous Ten Tigers of Kuang Tung, who prided themselves on their righteous stand against the heinous Xing authorities. At their beginning, the team consists of one loyal fighter, Li Jen Chao. I keep wanting to call him Jet Li. Li Jen Chao, played by T. Lung. His hot-headed sibling, Tang Ming 
played by Alexander Fusheng, and two Shaolin-trained brothers, Wang Chi-ying and Wang Chang-kei, played respectively by Wei Pai and Dick Wei. An anti-Shing revolutionary leader, Chai-min Yu, played by Ku Feng, is being hunted down by Manchu General Liang, Tung Chi's father. He's almost caught when a masked man rescues him from death and escapes with him. The masked man, it turns out, is Li Chao, who also happens to be a loyal ex-Shaolin man and the owner of a pawn shop in town. Li Chao hides Chai Min Yu in the back of his pawn shop and sends his younger brother Tan Ming to to seek the help of two other ex-Shaolin men who reside in the town. The two brothers are Wan Yi, I'm sorry, Wen Yi Ling, a skilled kicker, played by Sun Qian, of course, and Su Hei Hu, played by Lu Feng, a master who works at the harbor. Tan Ming is temperamental and is always getting into fights, and he starts fighting with Wen Yi Ling and Su Hei Hu before he explains the reason for his visit. Luckily, Li Jen Chao is able to explain the situation in time, calm everybody down, and the two men gladly swear their allegiance. Meanwhile, Beggar Su, played by Philip Kwok, who is basically a street performer, ends up in a friendly fight with Tan Ming, the loser of which has to smash his head into the steps until he dies. <laughs> Li shows up to stop it, and Tie Chao San, also known as Iron Bridge, thinks it's two against one fight, which apparently is one of his pet peeves. Ultimately, Li is able to defuse the situation once again, and no one has to bash in their own head. Li's rival pawn shop owner, I'm sorry, yeah, Lee's rival pawn shop owner offers Sue and San wine and a proposition that he will fund a school where they can teach martial arts. The two agree, and Sue goes with San and meets his pupil, Cao Yu Sheng, played by Chiang Sheng. When Sue and Sheng go to the casino completely inebriated, they encounter Iron Finger Chung, played by Lo Mang, who proves that his fingers are ridiculously strong. After a friendly bet in which Chung almost has to sever his ridiculously strong fingers, the three become fast friends and go out carousing. They inadvertently smash through Lee's pawn shop door, thinking it's the shop next door where Sue first got his wine. Lee and his men investigate the commotion, and a fight ensues until T.A. Chao San shows up once again and breaks it up because he thinks it's an unfair fight. Lee, being the reasonable man that he is, lets them go but is baffled by who they are and what the hell they wanted. San... Su, Sheng, and Sheng go back to the rival pawnbroker school performance troupe. You see, the rival pawn shop guy is a slime bag, and he's secretly working for General Liang. He dupes the four into believing that Ch- Chai Min Yu is a rapist and a murderer. They trace Chai back to Li's pawn shop, and yet another fight ensues. However, cooler heads once again prevail, and Li explains that Chai is not the villain they think he is, but an anti-Sheng activist who's on the lam from General Liang. Convinced of his innocence, the four friends realize that the focus has turned to the injustice of the rulers and join up with Li and his posse. Thus, the Ten Tigers of Kwangtung are formed. However, in the present, the descendants of General Liang wage all-out war against the Ten Tigers clan and their pupils. It's up to the new disciples to stop the bloodshed. Whew. Yeah, that that was a that's a tough one to to wrap your brain around. Like I said, it took me two, I t- think I told you off mic. It took me two viewings to really get the full story. Yeah, and there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of back and forth and double crossing and the thing that bugs me in any film, if you're not super familiar with the actors and they start dressing everybody the same and giving them all like the same hairstyle and the same facial hairstyle and it's like well, you know, this guy's different because he's got a slightly grayer beard, but right. like he still looks very similar to 
you know, that guy who also looks similar to this guy. Like I have that same issue with uh, a lot of the, uh, the foreign films that I watch. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not, if it, or even like independent films when they just like they're they're typecasting it's like oh this guy's the jock douchebag but he also happens to look kind of like the guy who is uh supposed to be the guy you're rooting for it's like okay so they're both muscular blonde dudes it's like i don't know who is who like right. they're the exact same guy as far as i'm concerned well yeah but like oh go ahead it, it's, and it's not just that it's the constant time jumps and it's like wait who is that which guy oh my god like and you know like we the the version that we watched they introduced the character names on screen right super handy it's in chinese well not as handy. did you did you use the subtitles i subtitle did. one had the oh, translations okay. uh, i didn't use that one um, I use the other ones. That's my fault. Oh, okay. Uh, so, like that was it was harder to keep track. Plus, I was I was also at work doing stuff, so I'm like watching the movie while I'm like weighing out different amino acids. Okay. Um, but you know, obviously, I watched you know all the fight scenes, and I got most of the uh, the plot. But it was just so weird. It's like. <sighs> Because of the dubbing, like this is another reason I need to learn Chinese. Because of the dubbing, like scenes ended really abruptly. And I don't know if that's because of the version that we saw, the editing process or something lost in translation. But it felt like guys were in the middle of sentences or conversations. And then it just bounced to the next the next scene. And it's like, wait, wait, what happened? And it always took me a minute to figure out is this now now like the, that scene right. in space when will then be now soon <laughs> yeah that was one issue that i had with the movie is that uh, especially the first time through is it, it didn't they didn't delineate very clearly like there was a slight blurry fade but it was very slight i mean at least they could have done the you know if they wanted to go the 70s route the okay now yeah, we're in the past cool. you know yeah, exactly. That's where that's from. I couldn't remember where that's from. <laughs> yeah, it was the the, uh, the alternate endings that they were doing. Yeah. And I was going to talk about, too, what you just said. You made me think of, um, you know, these movies, especially the foreign ones, and not just the Asian movies, because I remember in Return of Ringo, when he showed up at the beginning, but then he showed up in with, like, the tan face. When I first watched that, I'm like, wait a minute. Now, who is that? Is that Ringo? I couldn't recognize him because I wasn't familiar with the actor's face. Yeah, and that one, as we mentioned when we when we watched it, was supposed to be a sequel, but all the all the actors returned and played different characters. Like that shit drove me like that blew my mind. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I think we compared it to like it's like, oh, remember Han Solo in, in you know, A New Hope? Well, Harrison Ford is back, but he's playing a different guy. This time he's a bartender right. <laughs> who runs a casino. It's like, but he dresses the same and speaks the same. Like everything's the same. Why? <laughs> nope. He's a different character. What happened to Han Solo? Don't worry about it. Right. Just but go with like, it. Only Mark Hamill's playing Luke Skywalker again. That's it. No, Mark Hamill's not even playing Luke Skywalker. He's <laughs> in it, but he's a different guy. You know, he's 
Jeff ground strider like that's that's what he's doing but like it's like what what and like i get lost in these westerns too like like it's like okay that's lee van cleef i know because of the mustache and then after that i don't remember who everybody is right right. guys if we've seen them over and over and over and over again you know again like with the venoms when we see them over and over and over again yeah like even with some of these guys, like when they dress them exactly the same and they give them the same facial hair and like they don't always zoom in. It's like, what is that? Philip Clark? Is that Lomang? Like, wait, right. Wait, like and you'll get somebody that looks like them and it's like, oh, maybe they're they're playing like relatives, you know, father, son or brothers or something. It's like, haha, no, you're they're enemies and like from totally different cities. And it's like, God damn it. Like (laughs) any of the, any movie that does that, like it drives me nuts. Well, especially like some of the early ones, like crippled Avenger. Well, that was kind of easy to figure out who was who, but like uh, Shaolin rescuers, they were all dressed in the same outfits with the same hair, same mutton chops. And it was like, well, wait, which one's which? And we didn't know who they were at the time really. And, uh, Like I said, it's the same with any film. Like the westerns drive me nuts, where they have like everybody looks the same. It's like, oh, it's this you know dirty white guy wearing like a hat and you know like tan clothes. Right, <laughs> it could be. Like, oh, any, is that any Aaron Till or is that like a background extra? Right. Like, <laughs> I think the only guy um, that clearly stood out, and I don't know if you you think the same way, was Alexander Fusheng, who played Tang Ming, because he's got a look about him. He doesn't look completely Asian. You know, his um, his eyes. He I swear he's like his one of his parents must have been like English or American or something. I think um, what's his name? Uh, oh, let me look him up. Well, and Philip Kwok is easy to spot because to me he looks like yeah. Jared Padalecki. <laughs> yes, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> like the, re- the recurring thing. Uh, Lang, Lang looked different because I don't think I've seen him before. Yeah. Um, the the kid that was going around trying to fight everybody. Oh yeah, that's him. That's him. We've seen him before. Um, well, I'll jump ahead a little bit here. We saw him previously in Life Gamble. He was the one that had the the holsters for his daggers, and he would spin the daggers like pistols. Oh, yeah, yeah, Life yeah. Gamble, the one I, I tried to block out of my memory because yeah. it was just so awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, no wonder why I didn't recognize <laughs> He's the one that looks kind of different. Well, he was also in Heaven and Hell, or uh, Shaolin Hellgate, so, yeah, I could see why you blocked him out. <laughs> and obviously Philip Kwok because, yeah, Philip Kwok. Yeah, but, but, I mean, this movie, and I think, you know, like you said, you have to be used to these guys because in in China or in Hong Kong particularly, I think this movie was a huge deal because it managed to group together some of the biggest names in Shaw Brothers history. You've got, you know, Shaw's idol, T. Lung, is together with the Venoms, um, as, as we mentioned, Alexander Fu Sheng, who was a, um, and we also had veteran Kung Fu actor Ku Feng, who played the, the, um, the uh, what do you call it, the guy that was on the lamb, and just mm-hmm. a whole bunch of Chang Chai supporting players. So, you know, it was a big cast, and uh, let's just talk about them for a little bit here. And I'm not going to get in too much depth, except for maybe two of them. Um, but of course, we've got our Venoms. Lu Feng played Su Hei Hu, the harbor master. And it was really nice seeing him play a good guy again. 
Yeah, I like when he's a good guy. Yeah. He's got this, like, when he's a bad guy, he has got evil in his eyes. And when he's a good guy, he's got this kindly twinkle in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a very talented actor. Like, he can turn it on and turn it off. It reminds me a lot of, like, Christoph Waltz. Like, yes. It's like, he's being friendly, but you know there's, like, this under, like, under the radar, like, danger and... Like, you should be afraid of this guy. Right, right. And then we've got Philip Kwok, as we mentioned. He plays Beggar Sue. Uh, Chiang Sheng, of course, was Su Yu Sheng, which is not too confusing, even though both him and the character have the same last or first name. Yeah, I was going to say, and a lot of guys have the same same name or very similar names. Right. And that's yeah. another thing about these movies is that because the Asian names are so different than our Western names, it's very hard to, you know, I wonder if they sit and do podcasts about our movies and laugh at our names, you know? Well, there was, and that was literally something like towards the end of the film um, when they caught up with uh, what's his nuts there at the end uh, and they tied him up mm. like, they even said, like, oh, are you related to this guy? No, no, no. We just have the same name. Right. <laughs> so it's almost like a meta joke. Like, they understand that, like, we've given the characters and the, you know, the same names, a lot of the same names and the actors and, like, yeah, we get that it can be confusing. <laughs> then so we've got like oh. Die Hard, you know, Agent Johnson and Agent Johnson. No relation. Right. <laughs> Oh, man. And then we've got Lo Meng, who played Iron Finger Chung, who was uh, running casino security. And Sun Qian was Wang, Wang Yi Ling, the skilled kicker. Um, uh, I kind of forgot that we didn't see those two, Lo Meng and Sun Qian, in the last maybe two films. Hmm. Uh, didn't even yeah, notice missed, in Legend of the Fox that they weren't in it. <laughs> I miss uh, Sun Qian. Yeah, like in, in this movie. Oh, you you mean you miss you would miss seeing? Yeah, him. I yeah. missed him. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, I wish he was there. Yeah. Um, now we've also seen a couple of second tier venoms. We had, uh, as I mentioned in the um, summary, Wei Pai. Uh, he played Wang Chi Ying. He was in Five Deadly Venoms and Kid with the Golden Arm. And mm -hmm. Dick Wei also goes by Tu Lung. He played Wang Cheng Kei. He was also in Five Deadly Venoms, Crippled Avengers, and Shaolin Hellgate. And these are the two guys that were helping Lee, the leader of the Ten, at the beginning of the flashback. So when he comes out with his two buddies and then he tells his, which I thought was his son, but it turned out it was his younger brother. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. You know, you you don't know who's, like, what the characters are, like, right. what their relation. Because everybody calls each other brother anyways, brother and sister. Right. You know, so it's like. You're not my brother, you're my cousin, but I'm going to call you brother. And you're also my enemy, but I'm still going to call you brother. Like like in Legend of the Fox where the lady goes, I married my brother. And you're like, yeah. what? Oh, I married brother whatever. Yeah. And it's like, not your actual brother. Right. No, but like, that's that's weird. I don't know. What's weirder, like referring to your, your wife as like sister or referring to your wife as mother. Right. I don't know what's weirder. <laughs> Probably mother. Uh, but I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, it's funny. I find myself catching myself like my grandson calls me pops and he calls my wife Nana. And then sometimes I'll say something like, ooh, Nana. And I'm like, oh, that sounds gross. No, I'm just going to call you honey. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not one to cast judgment, but 
Yeah, that's like the whole like daddy kink right. thing. <laughs> I don't get That's weird. Uh, so anyways, for our other All-Stars, we've got T-Lunk. Now, as we said, he plays Lee Jen Chow, who is the pawn shop owner, or one of the pawn shop owners, but he's the leader of the Ten Tigers. And he was born Tam Fu Wing. His family moved from Guangdong, which is also uh, Quang Tung. I guess there's different ways to pronounce it, or different ways to spell it, but it's Quang Tung. It's the same pronunciation. Uh, he's from that province in China. The, him and his family moved to Hong Kong when he was four. Uh, when he was 11, his father died, so he had to take a job as a delivery boy to help pay the bills. And he ended up studying the martial art Wing Chun, everybody Wing Chun tonight, with the master Ju Wan in order to protect himself against street gangs so he could do his job. Um, in 1968, he applied for a job with the Shaw Brothers and was in the film Return of the One-Armed Swordsman. Chang Che saw that this guy had a lot of potential, so he started casting him in starring roles. By the late 70s, he'd been in like a shit ton of movies, and he started working with a different director named Chu Yan, and he's pretty much the only actor who starred in more of Chu Yan's films than any other actor. Um, one of his most recognizable roles was being in Drunken Master 2 with Jackie Chan. Uh, he left the Shaw Brothers in the 80s, and his career kind of took a downward spiral until John Woo cast him in a movie called A Better Tomorrow with Chow Yun-Fat in 86. And after that, instead of playing the handsome young martial artist, he was getting roles as the tortured would-be hero gangster. <laughs> but, I mean, that's Yeah, the, I mean, the dude's been acting even up till recently, and um, we're going to see him again in Ninja in the Deadly Trap. So Nice. Um, the ruthless taxes, I mean tactics. Um, <laughs> and then as we talked about uh, just a short time ago, Alexander Fusheng, or he just goes by Fusheng, uh, he plays the character Tang Ming, who was Lee's brother. Uh, we saw him previously in Life Gamble and Heaven and Hell, uh, as I mentioned. Uh, Pat, oh, I already told you about this. He's the, um, the guy with the holsters in Life Gamble. Um, he... He's funny. He, well, not funny, but it's really interesting. I think we did talk about him when we when we did Life Gamble. I mean, he was a megastar in China. And um, when we do a movie where he's like the main, main actor, we'll really dive into his movie. But I did want to briefly mention, and I, I may have said this before in Life Gamble, but it's worth repeating. Um, he started as a Shaw actor when he was 17 after Chang Che discovered him, and he studied martial arts under the great La Car Leung. I think we have talked about that guy before. He married the famous singer Jenny Seng, and they bought Bruce Lee's house. In 1979, you may recall this, he was on the set of a film called Deadly Breaking Sword. He got dizzy and fell eight feet, almost breaking his neck. And because of that, he suffered dizziness and slurred speech after that. Um, and then shortly after that incident, during the filming of a movie called Heroes Shed No Tears, a harness broke and he shattered his right leg and was out of work for six months. And then sadly, in 1983, uh, 10 years after Bruce Lee's death, he was a passenger in his own Porsche that his brother was driving. They took a curve too fast and crashed. The brother lived, but Fusheng later died because he was losing more blood than the doctors could put in him. So uh, we kind of start the, the show on a sad note for a guy who was not only a megastar, but he also had aspirations of becoming a director himself. So. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's not always the, uh, the note we want to kind of the the stuff we want to focus on um yeah. kind of like dragging the bruce lee story when you know it ends it's like so many people want to talk about how he died where i choose to focus on how he lived um but you you mentioned something interesting you know that kind of ties back to bruce lee 
said that uh, he studied uh, Wing Chun, which is what uh, Ip Man yes. studied. Yeah. And he also was one of Bruce Lee's teachers. That's right. Yep. So one of those like six degrees of separation thing. And doesn't he show up in like the second or third Ip Man movie? I haven't seen those yet. Uh, he shows up in one of them, but like only for like a brief second. It might be the, the first one. So I watched the first one and I don't remember seeing uh, Bruce Lee in that. But or, I mean, you know, it was just like a little play. like a uh, little interaction like at the end uh, of the film, hmm. you know, and then like a little thing on the title, like, oh, yeah, he taught Bruce Lee. It's whatever one where he opens up the school on the roof. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. That was not the first one. I've only seen the first one. All right. Then it's got to be the second one. Oh, okay. Because the third one, he fights Mike Tyson. You'd remember that. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I would remember that. Um, so now Wang, Wang Lung Wei played General Liang Sen Kuei. He was the original bad guy from the flashback of the one the two guys in the present are seeking revenge about. Um, he was in Five Deadly Venoms, Invincible Shaolin, Crippled Avengers, Kid with the Golden Arm, Shaolin Hellgate. He was, and it's funny because I didn't notice him till the second go round, but do you remember the scene where um, they're sitting at the table with all the ladies and he's just this grumpy guy and he slaps the drink out of the lady's hand. She's trying to give him the drink. I think so, but I might be kind of conflating that with the scene from uh five man army where they rescue the, the, the guy and then they go in to have all the burritos and <laughs> all the, all the ladies come in and like, the one, the samurai guy refuses to make eye contact with that one girl right, who clearly is like warm for his form. <laughs> well, anyways, that's how I identified this guy. So he he's the head bad guy in this, uh, at least in the past. And then uh, Wang Li plays his son, Tung Chi. Uh, so he's the son of General Liang. Um, and along with his nephew, they're trying to seek revenge against the Ten Tigers in the present. We've seen him before in Shaolin Daredevils, Magnificent Ruffians, Flag of Iron, Rebel Intruders, Legend of the Fox, Mass Avengers, and we'll see him again in upcoming films. Um, we've got yeah, this. Some of these names it was hard to find the actor because the spelling is different between not only between IMDb and Wikipedia, but also uh, Hong Kong Movie Database. But uh, Yi Young Hung, also spelt Swing Yang, he plays uh, T A Chow. Son, also known as Iron Bridge. He's the dude with the salt and pepper hair and beard and the black and red toga. That's how I I had to write it down in my notes so I knew who he was. Um, and he's the dude that keeps interfering where he thinks it's two against one. Um, and he's been in a bunch of these two, a bunch of the ones I've already listed off. Um, he's also known for some uh, notable films called uh, Revolt of the Dragon and Scorpion Thunderbolt. And we're going to see him again, too. Then we've got, well, that was weird too. What I didn't understand how Lee recognized him. He like looked at his bicep and go, goes, "Oh, you're you're uh, T A Chow," and he's yeah, like, like <laughs> okay, that's that's kind of great. it's like the the joke. I forget who the comedian was. He's like, you know, you watch too much porn if you can recognize a guy by his balls. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not quite to that level, but right. like. It's like, oh, you flexed. Oh, you must be. Oh, are you Jerry? Like, like all these guys are like pretty much jacked. Like they all have like impressive biceps. Right. It's like, 
Maybe Kung Fu Magazine Monthly did a spotlight on him or something, and that's where Lee saw it. It's got to be because, like, <laughs> he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna walk by you." No, you're not. Oh, flex. It's like, wait, what? <gasps> And it's that's, you. That's another thing about this movie that I didn't write in my notes, and I still oh, I want to do the the actors, but I just want to mention before I forget, um, all these guys live in the same town. They don't know each other, but they recognize them by like either their kung fu style or their reputation. It's like wouldn't yeah, like, their oh, paths you have did, crossed? Like you did that one move. I know who you are. Right. <laughs> like ah, oh, scissor kick. No one could possibly do that. Like I looked at, it and I was like. It's not that it's not like he did a triple backflip. Right. And it wasn't even really a kick. It was more like he could use his legs to pick things up. So it was almost like you know what he looked like? He looked like uh the guy from uh Mad TV, Stuart. Look what I can do. Like that's what that <laughs> like that wasn't super impressive. Like I I wasn't like, whoa, that's amazing. Right. I was just okay. <laughs> oh. And then did they yeah. They don't know each other by name, but they recognize biceps. It's like, <laughs> like, are you shitting me right now? Like, if I lived in the same town as somebody and, like, I had just heard about them and then, like, I was walking by and they're like, hey, and, like, flex a little bit, I would be like, oh, are you Mitch Stevenson? Like, I don't, What? Like, that's so weird. Again, <laughs> there has to be something missing in the translation. I think so. There has to be. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Then we've got Ku Feng, uh, who played Chai Min Yu. Uh, and there's other iterations of his name I won't go into, but he's the anti chiming in. You what? I've been chiming in. <laughs> yeah, chime in, you. <laughs> Oh, man, he's the anti-Shing revolutionary guy that the Ten Tigers have to protect and get him out of Kwangtung. Um, and we've seen him, of course, in Five Deadly Venoms and Life Gamble. He's also known for one called The Mighty Peking Man, which I want to cover at some point, and I'm not going to tell you what it's about. Uh, Tiger Killer, Master of Kung Fu, and The Marshall Club. Now, um, I had to go back, and I literally had my laptop out, and I had to pause it every time the name came up with the translation. And it would say, not just the character's name, but it would say the actor, as, and then the character. So these were the five guys at the very beginning who were in the gambling den when the uncle and nephew walked in and were trying to target them. And that's when you know the uncle says, oh, we can't take them all on. Let's just wait till one is separated from them. So the first guy was Lung Tung Sheng. He played a character called Wang Chao Ming. Um, he's one of the, of course, the five present-day tigers. He's the first one that's introduced um, wearing all white, and he's the dude with the big mutton chops and kind of the one cross-eye that you sort of notice at the end when he's got the, the dude, the nephew, tied up. Um, he was in Flag of Iron, and we'll see him again in a couple more Venom films, and he still acted up until 2018, so I don't know what he's doing these days. Uh, then we've got the second guy who was also in white that was introduced. The actor is Chin Su Ho. Uh, he played the character Lin Fu Sheng. Um, he, the uh, the uncle, tells the nephew that uh, Lin Fu Sheng is the son of Wang Yi Lin, and his master was Li Chin Chao. Um, he he was in Master Avengers: Legend of the Fox. So we've seen him in a bunch of others. Um, he also acted with Jet Li in the movies Tai Chi Master and Fist of Legend. And um, his role in the last movie, Legend of the Fox, which we may have talked about him, was his first leading role, and he's still acting today. Oh, very cool. Yeah. 
And then there's three more guys. Oh, here's one. <laughs> sue you. I'm going to sue you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- see, that's a. <laughs> and the other guy was um, Philip Kwok was beggar Sue. Right. <laughs> he played uh, Sue. You played Chan Tao Chun. And it's spelled Da Jun, D-A-J-U-N, but it's pronounced Chun. He's the nephew of Iron Finger and the pupil of Lo Feng's Su Hei Hu. Uh, then these guys were the other three. They were in, well, the other, all right, there was two others and then the, the security guy, but um, he's the first of the two. They had sort of the tan vests, these two. Um, Chen, Huang, Chen Hang Wang, or Chan Hong Kwong, he played Lin Bing. Or it's pronounced Ping sometimes. He's a pupil of Wan Yin Lin, and uh, he was in a, a handful of movies that we've already covered, but not much beyond that. And then the final of the five is Lin Chi Tam, also known as Lam Chi Tai. He plays Tan Chong, uh, not to be confused with Tommy Chung. He's the nephew of Tan Ming, who is the dude that we talked about that doesn't look quite so Asian. Um, and he's the present-day security casino guy. I'm, I'm sorry, the present-day casino security guy. And this dude was in over 119 films, and we've covered some of them. Now, last but not least, and this was thoroughly confusing, uh, Feng Quan. He plays a character called Tong Ba. This is the dude that shows up for the final fight with the spear. He was in Life Gamble, and he's only listed as a guest star in that movie. So I don't know what the deal is with this guy. Like, why in the the final fifteen minutes of the movie does a new character show up? Uh, because it wasn't confusing enough at the beginning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that, I thought that was weird. I don't remember him. I I've kind of blocked out Life Gamble myself. I I do remember there being a question about one of the characters, so it might have been him. You know, I know that a lot of these names aren't going to mean a lot to some of the listeners, but these guys, this whole cast, they're the cream of the crop. It's like for us, you know what I like in it too is the original and actually the remake of Ocean's Eleven. You know, you take a bunch of our top stars and put them together in a film that may not be the greatest, uh, may not be the greatest movie, but it's just a fun ride to see them all interact. So I'm sure it was more fun. For... Like the Expendables. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I didn't even think of that. I thought that's where you were going, to be honest with you. <laughs> I kind of forgot about that, but yeah. You know what this movie is like? Willy Wonka. Yeah. <laughs> it's coach with Philip Kwok as Willy Wonka. <laughs> I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah. Hey, oh, get man. away from my chocolate fountain. And he like fucking scissor kicks a kid. <laughs> right into the fountain. Yeah. Oh, he's he's dead for sure. Are you sure? Oh, I just said for sure. <laughs> oh man, well, are you gonna help him? Fuck that kid. <laughs> I think this is pretty much the only Shaw film to have such an all star cast of the greatest actors. I, I I read a thing online where it referred to it as a once in a lifetime cast. Um, you know, because from this time period, it's a huge portion of their great performers. You know, and they're all given at least in this movie. I felt they were all given a. Uh, a good chance to shine. Yeah, that's the one thing uh, I I could take away from this film, and you know, definitely say that nobody was really overshadowed. Like everybody got, and you know that that tends to happen a lot in a lot of these films. Like everybody's given equal time for character development. Right. You never see like 
oh man, we spent like, you know, it's a 90 minute movie. We spent 70 minutes on Philip Kwok and now we're going to cram 12 more characters in at the end. <laughs> like, no, you get to see them interacting most of these times, most of the time in these films, you get to see them interact with each other prior to the final showdown. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like last week, the, the, the flying Fox there, uh, we got to see them interact, you know, albeit in a, incredibly contrived way right. oh it's raining out let's all take shelter at this random guy's house right. like oh, that's the guy that killed your dad 40 years ago tonight it was also raining right. you know i floor a blood oath and he, oh there's the guy that cut my hand off like what the fuck <laughs> everybody knows everybody and it's like oh i just happened to be here oh <gasps> That's my mom who left me for my, you know, who right. that's your mom who left me for this other guy. We used to be friends. We're enemies now. Mommy, come hug me. Right. No, I go back out into the rain. It's like, what are the odds? Like, yeah, that that was super contrived. China is a huge place with lots of people. And like all these people who just happen to have a past are all in the same place at the same time. All because right. It's I get a I get a, kind of a quiz for you. Not really a quiz, but think back to Legend of the Fox. There was an actor in that movie that we'd seen quite a bit as a supporting actor, and he had more of a prominent role in that movie. And he's not in this one. You don't have to know his name, but do you do you remember who it was? No, it, I don't. It was Yu Tai Ping. I always refer to him as the pointy nose guy because that's how I know who. Oh he yeah, is. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he had a he yeah. had a big part in that one, and he's. Not even in this movie at all, which you would think he would. They would have stuck him in somewhere. Yeah, it, everything kind of bounces around a little bit. Like you, you know, you you see these guys, you're like, all right, they're, they're going to be like, because even in a lot of these, you don't get all five venoms. So yeah, you know, it's yeah, it's it just, was, yeah. I mean, Sun Chan did basically nothing, and you could tell with his fighting style too. Like when he kicked, he was great, but when he tried to throw a punch or receive a punch, you could tell he almost was like afraid. He didn't want to either hit the opponent or get hit. Yeah, but he wasn't in the last one, so right. that's what I'm saying. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. It, it bounces back and forth, like you know, you expect to see these guys. I mean, as long as Philip Kwok is in it, look, that's all that matters, right? <laughs> Philip Kwok and Lo Mang, and that's all that matters. And Chiang Sheng, I love Chiang Sheng too. Chiang Sheng is really good too. <laughs> now, did you know this is based on? The, there's a real Ten Tigers of Kwangtung. I did not. Yep. I mean, I would. I assumed that you know a lot of these things are based on some sort of like feudal legend because a lot of it takes place in you know feudal not feudal Japan, but like that time, you know, you know, the 15, 16, 1700s, yeah. you know, yeah, because there's a lot of, you know, like the kid with the golden arms, like I'm sure that there was a character like someone who had that, but I don't think his arms were actually made of gold. It was probably like something that he wore. That's what I, yeah, that's what I think. You know, like I think that there are a lot like these are, uh, you know, it's like the story of Robin Hood, like yeah. stuff like yeah. that. Like I, I think it's a, it's a similar type of thing. Yeah, the, they're I just mean, oh, go ahead. telling stories of these characters. You know, f making them fantastical, right? To you know, be a good story on on paper. Yeah, and, or on film. Yeah, in real life, they're the Ten Tigers of Canton, which is not Canton, Massachusetts. 
um, or they're also the Ten Tigers of Guangdong. I think there's like three or four different iterations of Guangdong. Um, yeah, it's like similar similar pronunciations, but it depends on what language is being. Like Canton is Cantonese, right? Like, what translation you're getting right and it you know the the name refers to a group of off of sorry a group of i thought it said often a group of 10 chinese martial artists from the guangdong <laughs> province the words look close together it did say often <laughs> like it almost looks like there's no space between of and ten. they fought they they fought to get her i'm sorry together right <laughs> no he's not the rapist he's the th- therapist therapist yeah <laughs> Um, so it refers to a group of 10 Chinese martial artists from the Guangdong province who lived around the 19th century during the Xing dynasty in China. Uh, they were said to be the greatest fighters in Guangdong during the Xing era. Much of their existence has been embellished, as you, as you said, by folk legends and stories passed down from generation to generation. Uh, the 10 Tigers of Canton traced their martial arts lineage to the Southern Shaolin Monastery in the Julian Mountains in Fujian province. Uh, Southern Shaolin is a branch of the better-known Shaolin Monastery on Mount Song in the Henan province. As such, the Ten Tigers martial arts styles uh, resemble those of Shaolin Kung Fu. Uh, And lastly, uh, just touching upon the real Ten Tigers, they've been the subject of a few movies. Uh, There was one before this that was supposedly not as good as this one. Um, There was a Hong Kong TV show about them, and they made an appearance in the 2004 remake of Around the World in 80 Days, in which Sammo Hung plays one of the tigers, and I think he helps the main characters liberate some place. Sammo Hung is also in uh, the second um, uh, Ip Man. Oh, yeah, I got to start watching those again. He's very good. Yeah. Oh, I love the first one. I just have too much to watch. Um, but the dude, the, so the nephew, right? Liang Seho, he is right out the gate is vicious at the beginning when he stabs the dude on the gambling table. I did not expect that. Yeah. And then I was impressed. He was able to write so legibly with so little blood. <laughs> he only swipes the sword twice and is like the oh, paragraph. <laughs> yeah. He, he There's like 30 characters and like, they're all very bright. It's like, it's like the scene in The Simpsons with uh, Sideshow Bob when he's the, the Cape Fear episode. Yeah. And they're getting all these letters and, you know, he's writing everything in blood. And like you see him like to do list, threaten Bart, do laundry, buy corn holders. And then he's like <laughs> writing a note. He's like, dear life in these United States. A funny thing happened to me today. When he's, Get a pen, Sideshow Bob. Like. <laughs> Like I get you want to be creepy and um, on, ominous. I almost ominous. Ominous. Yeah. <laughs> you want to be <laughs> ominous, but like, there's only so much blood. This guy's out of juice. Get me another one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Like squeeze him to like get more blood out. Like, right. <laughs> but well, that was behind the scenes. We didn't get into that. Right. That was pretty brutal, though. I did not expect that. I was expecting just sort of regular martial arts, and then oh, he, you know, he he gets killed, but not in the way that it happened there, because he literally just threw him on the table, jumped on him, and stabbed him. I mean, there was no, uh, there was yeah, there no, were it was not a fair like fight. Yeah. There were, like, and I have thoughts about the ending. Okay, yeah, we'll uh, get to that. <laughs> I thought last week was a ridiculous death. That has <laughs> nothing on this one. 
I think I know which one you're going to mention. Oh, you have to know which one you're talking about. <laughs> oh, you're upside down. I'll show you. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's just mention, you know, Philip Kwok. I noticed he didn't show up until about a half an hour in. But I felt like he was really enjoying himself here because he was just freaking hilarious when he was he drunk. He always is. I He's my favorite. I love watching him because he always has such a good time yeah like he's always like except for that i forget which one but like there was that one movie where he was just like really stoic and um serious yeah but every other film he's like he has such a good time he has so much fun and he's always he's always pointing and laughing at the guy right you know whoever he happened whether it's like his enemy or his friend he's always like ha ah, yeah you know and he's always eating <laughs> yeah he's always eating or drinking he is, he is the bud spencer of of the <laughs> uh of the shaw brothers films but he's he's so much fun like and he's immensely talented oh yeah yeah, there was one fight where like Chang Shang was fighting one dude and Lo Meng was fighting another dude, so he didn't have an opponent. So he's just standing there, you know, watching Lo Meng fight this guy, and he keeps walking around so he doesn't get involved. But he's making all these funny faces and gestures and almost like mimicking the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like I oh, I want to be in there, like <laughs> oh, you know. Man. But yeah, again, the nephew drove me nuts. Like that kid, it, it was again, it's a Simpsons reference where. They're at like some like shit kicker bar. I actually think it's called shot kickers. Uh, <laughs> and there's a like they they pull up to it. It's uh, the one where Marge Marge on the lamb is the name of the episode where she's hanging out with Ruth Powell and they pull up <laughs> to the bar and part of the, the one letter of the sign is out and She's like, oh, I've heard a lot about shot kickers. And the O is the letter that's out. So you think it's going to be shot kickers? And it's like, they walk up and it's like, hey, you, let's fight. Hey, them's fighting words. And like, you guys just start beating the shit out of each other. Like, that's what he reminded me of. Yeah. It's like, oh, let's fight. All right. But if you lose, you have to bash your head against the stairs until you right. die. Like, what? Who takes a bet like that? I mean, who Even comes up with that? Right. If you hit me, if you manage to punch me once, I'll be so embarrassed that I will bash my head into the stairs until I die. <laughs> it's like, well, you better hope you get it on the first try. And what was great, though, was after that fight got broken up and then the police started marching down the street, which, first of all, I guess what fighting in public or fighting in the daytime is outlawed because they seem to not like that. Yet everybody's <laughs> doing it. <laughs> uh, everybody was kung fu fighting. Ah, uh, like, but, you know, uh, but then, you know, as the police are, are you know, are going about their business because um, him and I'm sorry, Fusheng and Kwok managed to make it look like they were just fooling around. Fusheng slaps him and then he slaps him back and they're like slapping each other. Yeah, they're slapping each other in the shoulder. And it's just yeah. like. <laughs> but I did like the the uh, well, we'll get to it because I don't want to okay. I don't want to jump all the way to the end of like, oh, I like the guy at the end. Right. I thought it was funny that we had doing pawnbrokers here. It took me a while, again, the second viewing, to realize what was going on there. Yeah. All right. So here's what threw me off when I was watching it, and I think I get why. So they have all the guys like, oh, yeah, let me uh, cash in this. Like, 
hey, take my dirty clothes and give me five tails of silver. Right. And they're like, oh, we're not going to do that. That's stupid. And it's like, no, no, give him his money. And like, and all the guys start like rushing. So it's like the end of It's a Wonderful Life when everyone's like <laughs> trying to get their money back and they just like rush and they all get money. And then like they go outside and they see the dude and they're like, all right, here's all the money back. Yeah, I didn't quite get that. Like, what did they do wrong? Think, it's a pawn shop. Yeah, but I think it's they were they were sent in by the dueling pawn shop guy. Oh, okay. Uh, to like give him garbage so that they could get good stuff. Oh, I see. Okay. All right, that makes sense. And yeah, it took me a second to realize that the other pawn shop was next door. And then it took me a little bit to figure out that when, you know, uh, the three of them, Lo Mang and Philip Kwok and Chang Sheng were drunk, they, they Philip Kwok thought they would go into the, the slimy guy's pawn shop because that's where he gave them the wine. But they ended up going next door to Lee's shop in there. And I thought that was kind of funny because they're pounding on the door. And meanwhile, Lee and his guys inside are shitting their pants and like, quick, get him. You know, uh, what's his name? Shing or whatever his name was. Go hide him. We'll find out what's going on. And they go running out and Lomang just bashes through the bars, <laughs> knocks the door down. And he's like, who are you working for? And they're like, oh, we, we don't work for anybody. Nobody tells us what to do. And they leave. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, nobody tells us what to do. We're our own man. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. Hold on. So, because I was like, why are they bashing through his place? And, of course, I realized, oh, yeah, they're drunk, so they went to the wrong place. You know, this reminds me of a story, and I'm not going to go too off on a tangent, but there was one time when I was dating my ex-wife, and uh, it was me and her and a friend of mine, and we were at my apartment, and it was New Year's Eve, I think, and... We all get a little tipsy, and she decides, hey, I have a friend who lives down the street, and they're having a party, so let's go check it out. So I wasn't that tipsy. She was, like, way more than I was. In fact, my friend wasn't really at all. We go into these people ho this people's house, and they're, like, in sweaters, playing charades, you know, like a family party, not, not like a, what I thought was just going to be a party party. And like I'm like, uh, I think we need to leave. And she like forces the lady that lives in the house, who is her friend, to go down in her basement and get a boombox so we can hear some music. <laughs> what? Yeah. I finally was able to drag her out of there. But I was like, oh, my God, we just crashed these people's party. It was like a family gathering. And they're looking at us like, what the fuck? Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> So I could see how these guys could, you know, crash into the wrong pawn shop because they were drunk. Oh, yeah, they were. Those guys were. And that to me is like one of the funny, like Philip Clock pretending to be drunk. Yes. It's like, oh, my God, that is so ridiculous. It's like, have you ever seen a human being like drink to excess? Because <laughs> that's like a caricature of yeah. what it is. Yeah. Like, yeah, and it's funny too. That, like I said in the synopsis, these movie people uh, tend to sober up real quick. I mean, yeah, I know adrenaline can sometimes do that, but it just seems to happen more often than not with the uh, the venoms. Well, and it's funny, like like oh, you need to go to bed, and like they don't go to bed; they go to like another room where like everyone's like sleeping on tables. Yeah, and chairs, <laughs> just sitting in the chairs, snoozing. Like that's not a bedroom. That's not where people <laughs> sleep. <laughs> 
But one no. thing I, I liked about this movie, though, was, um, you know, it, it not only with the actors, but it definitely, to me anyways, felt like kind of a Shaw's greatest hits because we saw a lot of the same sets that we've seen before. And I understand it was a studio and they had just had a, the same sets, just had to redress them. But even like that stage, which is sort of pivotal towards the end of the film, um, you know, all the actors. But there's even a, a chopstick and bowl fight. You know, yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, I was going to touch on earlier when the guy's like, I can turn anything into a weapon. And like, yeah. I was like, that must be the greatest uh, bowl <laughs> I've ever seen because it can withstand sword strikes that are cutting through like wood beams. Right. I will say, uh, and I know we mentioned this a little bit off air, and I've been dying to talk about this ever since I first saw it towards the end of the film when they have like the fi- one of the final confrontations. Yeah. And the two dudes are fighting and the one guy shatters the sword with his bare hand. Yeah. One of the things I love about Shaw Brothers films is that, you know, we've we mentioned this every time we watch one. There's always a new weapon. And this there were three new weapons. But there was the uh, the uh, the little spike on a chain that he used to. I don't even I don't know how he was able to do that. Right. It just shoots out of his sleeve. uh, The murder slinky. Uh, yes, that reminded me a lot of Shang Chi. Yep, and my favorite, which I've never seen, <laughs> and I alluded to this earlier, I've never seen used intentionally in any movie, the naked lady statue. Yes, I was so, going to mention that. <laughs> he gets his sword shattered, and he calls to his minion, who comes to him, and it's like there's this weapon that's like wrapped up in a sheet and you're like oh what's this gonna be it's gonna be some kind of badass sword and like you see like a little bit of gold hanging out i'm like oh what's that the handle of like oh is that like some kind of some sort of like super amazing thing that they're gonna like use and it's a goddamn statue it's a (laughs) like that's that it's that's what it is it is a statue statue. (laughs) it is a golden statue of a naked woman and the guy's like haha my ultimate weapon it's like what what <laughs> like we've seen some weird weapons again flags which we did get to see this right. one too. Uh, we saw guys killing people with flags okay and again i compared that to like you know when you're in preschool and you get the big parachute like that's kind of what it reminded me of right but this is a golden statue first of all that shit's got to be heavy as hell. Right. He wielded it like it was a wiffle bat. Yeah. <laughs> Second, when do you train with something like this? No kidding. At <laughs> what point you're like, oh, man, I'd love to use a sword, but my, all my opponents keep snapping them in half. Maybe I shouldn't make them out of rock candy. Like, what is going on when you're like, hey, Steve. Yeah, Greg? Uh, who fights with a statue? Uh, nobody, because that's fucking dumb. <laughs> Get me your lightest statue. My lightest statue. That's what you want. That's the type of weapon you're going to train. I have swords. No, all my all my opponents break my swords in half. Uh, would you like a spear? <laughs> we have spears. Yeah, I think that would just have the same problem. Like, did you see that one guy that makes like the scissor scissor motion and like cuts dominoes in half? What do you think he'd do to a spear? Uh, all right, I I guess. Uh, so yeah, lightest lightest statue. I need it to be about 
three feet long. Yeah. I, I still need it to be like kind of ranged. Like, and uh, what what kind of step do you want? Like a, a Buddha? You use it as a clip? No, no, no. Naked woman. Naked woman with her arms up upstr- outstretched above her head. Right. It's kind of pointy at both ends. <laughs> yeah, that was bizarre. That was really bizarre. Like, what? Oh, man. Uh, oh, you're in trouble now. You don't bring a sword <laughs> to a statue fight. Like, Wait, no, the sword that he broke, I can't remember now. Was that the the wobbly belt sword that he had? No, no, okay. no. That was that was a different. That was a different. See, the, those were different guys because this was the the flashback. Oh, He's like, that's right. how your father died. That's someone right. killed him with his own statues. He bashed his head in with it, and the blood was shooting out. Yeah, he like <laughs> he like blocked it, and it like pressed against the top of his head, and then the guy kind of like banged down on it, and yeah. like where the hands were pressed into the top of his head and blood shot out and he died instantly. He was dead before he hit the ground. I spent years training in my statue style. It's like, what? Killed by my own statue. (laughs) Oh, God. I I screamed when that happened. I was like, oh, my God. Like, how? What? I rewound it. I was like, did this motherfucker just get stabbed by a statue? (laughs) His head bashed in. Like, how does this happen? That was crazy. Um, I just before that scene, I wanted to jump back for, real quick because there was that performance that, first of all, was shot outside. If you, if I don't know if you noticed that, it's the one where the dude with the gray hair and the the red and black toga, and there's like a giant metal urn, and he's pulling it with ropes, and they're like, "Oh my god!" because he's so strong. Do you remember that scene? Yes. And then yes. this kind of ties in with what you were saying about dialogue like all of a sudden just ends and it cuts to another scene lo Meng walks up to it hits the thing the kettle whatever you want to call it the cauldron the it like it looks like it's brass with his two fingers and nothing happens and then they cut to something else and they never address it again <laughs> it's like well i mean he didn't actually get to use his ridiculously strong fingers in the in any of the fights no just that one fight I was like oh can you take these dominoes away from me yeah and it's like I'm like they're gonna cheat. Like they're gonna, they're gonna do something. Like it's gonna be uh, like there's this old uh, uh, Native American folk story. I'll make this very quick. Where uh, it's called the strongest one there is, and it's all about this uh, this guy. He's like super strong. He's like kind of like a version of Hercules. Yeah, and he kills a Thunderbird, and the feather of the Thunderbird lands on top of him. And no one can lift it like he's trying, like all these people are trying everything that they can do to try and lift this feather. Nobody can lift this feather. It's way too heavy because it's a Thunderbird feather and it's huge. So eventually, after like a full day of everyone trying to lift it, uh, this woman comes over and just goes and blows the feather away. Because it's all about being smart, not strong. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. It's like, yeah, it's it's you know, super heavy, but it still works the same as a feather because it's got to be able to, you know, carry a bird around, you know, and I remember hearing this in sixth grade and thinking like, that's a cool fucking story. Yeah, that's kind of like what this was. I thought they were going to do something along those lines where it's like, oh, he's pressing down on them. But if we push push them sideways or like we push up underneath the table, I didn't think they were going to spit rice wine in his face and cheat. Oh, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. 
I figured they probably should have because like he's sitting there. He's like, I'm using my crazy fingers. Ha 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 ha. I right. have robots. And it's like, that's super great, buddy. I See, I thought they were going to smash the table. So the table falls in and the dominoes fall to the ground. Uh, see, I thought they were going to like. You know, if this movie was made now, like, they, you know, there was there was some phrasing issues that they probably could have like, oh, what are you going to do with two fingers? It's like, no, oh, maybe. Did you notice that he dented the dominoes, too? Yeah. Like there was like an indentation in them. Yeah. From his fingers. And he like cuts one of them in half. It's like, see, you lose. It's like, wait a minute. That's cheating. So, yeah, I guess it's OK for them to cheat to win. It's like now we're going to cut your hands off. And it's like, right. It reminded me of uh, an old Norse mythology. See, everything reminds me of something. So I apologize <laughs> to everybody who's listening. It was like, oh, everything reminds this fucking guy of something. <laughs> but there's an old story where Loki makes a bet uh, with someone. And if he loses the bet, they are permitted to cut his head off. And the guy's like, all right, I'm going to cut your head off. He's like, yeah, you can cut my head off. Just don't touch my neck. Right. And they're like, oh, curses. We've been foiled. So right. like, <laughs> like, oh, you think you you think you've won? I'm going to sew your mouth shut since your head belongs to me now. So I'm going to sew your mouth right. shut so you can't spread your lies anymore, Loki. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But the only time that Lo Meng used his fingers in the fight was when they were drunk and they busted into Lee's shop. And he's fighting Su Cheng. And I thought he hit him in the nuts with his fingers. And he just put two holes in his skirt or whatever. And it was like, oh. Okay, and and then, like I said, and then he hits that big metal urn with his fingers and nothing happens, and that's it. Like, what was the point of setting it up? He's breaking this dominoes in half with his fingers, breaking the stick in half with his fingers, but he doesn't ever really get to use them in a fight. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like Chekhov's gun, you know, introduce it and then do absolutely nothing with it. Right. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah, there was there was some there was some wild wild shit in this movie where, you know, we have the scene at the end where the guy's like, "Oh, let's do a kung fu demonstration," and like he ends up stabbing the two dudes. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, watch! Can you do a flip? Oh, I can do a flip." He goes to do a flip, and like guy just stabs him in the spine, and then I will give them credit for this because this is something we're used to. Like, oh, I've suffered a catastrophic injury. That's all right. I'll still fight for another 10 minutes. And he, like, gets up and, like, gets into his stance. And you're like, oh, here it comes. And then he just, like, falls backwards and dies. Right, right. Yeah, I was expecting the same thing. I was like, all right, that's kind of funny. And And then then the other, his buddy's like, aha, I will headbutt you. Right. I'll just keep holding up all these vases and you'll just keep smashing through them. And then he does. And then he's like, I know, I'll hide my knife in the vase. And you'll, and the guy's like, oh, well, I'll just headbutt it. Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> I know. I was thinking that. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? And then he fucking basically sucker stabbed him instead of sucker punching. <laughs> yeah, but like he telegraphed it. It wasn't like the guy wasn't looking at him. And he's like, I'm holding the knife inside of this. And he's like, I don't care. I'm still going to headbutt it because like that's my one move. Oh, see, I didn't get that the guy saw the knife. I thought it was like we saw oh, it as the audience, died. but. No, I, I totally think he saw it. Oh, man. Yeah, that was I was another. Oh, my God. Moment where the blood is just shooting out of his head. <laughs> yeah, like it was it was ridiculous. Like, oh, my God. that But that was brutal. I mean, that was again. The nephew was vicious once again and, you know, not really fighting fair at all. Oh, no. Well, I mean, he got his uh, he got his come up. Come up and, and, yeah, because right like. 
And it's like, oh, yeah, here, try this kung fu. Oh, can you do this? Oh, we're those guys that you said you knew. Yeah, that's us. And we've already tied you up. And now we're going to make you dead. Yeah. Like, oh, you tried to take your knife out. Well, here, hold this knife. Oh, I didn't mean to hold it with my stomach. Oh. And I love as we get towards the end where um, after that, that scene, the two disciples are pretending to fight in the casino once again. And Tong Chi pulls his wobbly sword out. His belt sword, which I don't know how effective that thing is, but uh, maybe you could slap people with it, right? And he's trying to hit them, and they're just completely ignoring him, fighting themselves, but like completely evading his his sword, which I thought was hilarious. It's like, no, come on, fight me! Like, no, we're fighting each other. I'm gonna kill you then. Like, no, you're not. And he's all frustrated. Yeah, it was so. And he throws his little like watch chain at them, and like they block it with a chair. Yeah. Or was that the final fight? I don't. I don't, I don't know. It gets like, kind of blurs. I do recall uh, one of the cooler death scenes when one of them gets stabbed through the stomach with the spear, and he lands on top of the other guy. Yeah, and to shove the spear through his body into right. the guy underneath of him. Yeah, and then the most ridiculous goddamn death we have seen in any of these movies, and I am counting <laughs> last week, dude getting cut in half. <laughs> Guy is knocked through the ceiling and is hanging upside down. The other guy jumps up and kicks his fucking head off. Yeah, that was Philip Quack. Clean, <laughs> Clean off. Philip Quack kicks his head off. Like Charlie Brown kicking the football. Like Yeah. yeah. Except he, he hit it. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Brown does occasionally do it. Like that's why he's so psychologically damaged. Like Lucy. Uh, every now and then we'll let him do it. Right, right. <laughs> really messes with him. <laughs> oh my god, that was yet another oh my god moment. We fucking no. First... I was like, oh, go ahead. What? I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Did he kick a man's head off? <laughs> I was like, I'm fine if he wants to kick him hard enough to break his neck. Cool, but to completely sever his head. I, I I could not believe it. That reminded me of the scene in um, Killer Clowns from Outer Space where the clowns got the boxing gloves on and and yes. the biker dude's like, oh, you want to fight? Boom, knocks the guy's head clear across the alley. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Jason takes Manhattan. Yes, yes. Same thing. <laughs> he, he, he punches his head clean off and like, I no, I'm sorry. Uh, that... Like, I love these films. I love the fight choreography, but you lose me when you kick a guy's head clean off. Right. And it's not like the guy was like on the ground and you like had a running start and you like booted his head off, like because his head was like against a table or something. Right. <laughs> no, he was hanging upside down and you jump and like drop kick him. <laughs> and the rest of his body doesn't move. Right. He's still hanging upside down. <laughs> That was insane. It was under that was like in a in a film filled with unbelievable stuff. That was probably the one thing I was like, all right, come on. Come. <laughs> all right, the guy's got a belt sword. Fine. That dude just shoved a spear through him and into another guy. Fine. <laughs> but he kicked his head off. I'm even fine with cutting a guy in half. 
because <laughs> it's a sword. He's a master of his art. Maybe he's got adrenaline going through him. Maybe he gets him just right. Yeah. You know, slicing through all you, you know, if you just go, if you get through the stomach, like all it is, is like, you know, there's, there's nothing there. It's just the spine. If you can get through the spine, you can probably get through the whole thing. Like, right. All right. All right. I'll, I'll buy that. I mean, granted, like the guy flew apart in like, you know, his legs landed 15 feet from his torso, <laughs> but, but uh, <laughs> kicked his goddamn head off. <laughs> Like with one try, it's not like he like did it a few times. It's not like he kind of like cut his head. It wasn't like in Game of Thrones when when Theon executes uh, what's his name, uh, Roderick, uh, Sir Roderick. Yeah, I and he's he's like he's like, oh, I'm gonna cut this guy's head off, and he's like hacking at him for like five minutes trying to cut the guy's head off, and he can't, and finally he just like walks up to him and like boots the side of his face and knocks his head off because he's like hacked at the back of his neck for five minutes. Well, and that's the thing is that the head is is attached to the body. The, the amount of force to just simply kick it off is incredible, and you know, it's funny you talk about things that remind you of stuff. Remember in RoboCop? When RoboCop foils the um, the guy robbing the convenience store with the machine gun, and after yeah. the guy runs out of bullets, he walks up to him, he grabs the front of the machine gun, the, the barrel, and then bends it down. It's like there's no way that would have worked. The gun would have come out of the guy's hand before the barrel would have bent because the guy is not strong enough to hold the gun against the force of RoboCop bending the thing. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, the <laughs> yeah. body didn't move. Yeah. We I suppose if the force is great enough. Right. Like, say you had like an action figure and you flicked the top of the head off. The body wouldn't move. Fine. Fine. Right. Fine. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying is that there's no way. Because not they weren't even super strong except for Lo Meng, but it wasn't Lo Meng. It was Quark that did it. There's just no way he could have kicked his head off conceivably. Although least, it did no, make for a great team. At least yell your attack like an anime, like scissor kick. Yeah. <laughs> or if he uses legs like scissors and then chopped his head off. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. That, that was just wild to me. Now, I will say, I thought it was cool prior to that where we saw that Philip Kwok and Lomang were still alive and they just had like gray in their temples. But then Philip Kwok says, I think it was him. He says it to the young guys. Uh, You're going to have to go this alone. We're not going to help you. And then they show up at the end and kick everyone's ass. <laughs> Kick people's heads off. Yeah, kick people's heads off. What kind of a world are we living in where people kick another people's heads off? <laughs> oh, man. So, and then, of course, the final shot, which is the weird odd couple music playing uh, and a cheesy 70s group photo of the disciples. I was like, what? Yeah, I was so lost. I'm like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> Did they go to a photo booth? And we're not going to, you know, obviously talk about the next movie just yet, but I felt that this was kind of similar in terms of a team, loosely, in terms of a team being put together for a purpose. You know, it, it was different. It wasn't like they went around, you know, gathering guys because of their skills, but I just thought that was that was the cool similarity. And I didn't realize that I'd picked a movie that had five in the title and the other movie had 10 in the title. I, I, it wasn't until I was starting to write my notes. I went, wait a minute. What the fuck? Oh, we're at the five and dime. <laughs> wait, is this one twice as good as the other one? Or is this one half as, <laughs> half as bad as the, oh, yeah, it's, 
So but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into this in a few minutes. Yeah. So so final thoughts, Pat. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. It was like I loved the fight scenes, and again, new weapons like Can't you know it. it's like the Austin Power. Who fights with a sh- with a statue? Like <laughs> like <laughs> honestly, why I, I I don't know what is more like what was more jarring fighting with a sta- and fighting proficiently with a statue. Yeah. The other guy, like being entirely unsurprised, like, huh, your statue style is no match for my crane style. Like, right. Totally. Like, if I'm in ever in a fight like that and some dude's like, huh, you just shattered my sword with your bare hands. Let's see you shatter this and pulls out a fucking Venus de Milo sharpened to a point. <laughs> I'm going to lose my shit. And he's he's using his arms against the statue like it was there were swords, you know. This, yeah, like that would hurt. No problem. Oh yeah, that's got to hurt like hell. You know, just block this. Yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I fight statues all the time. You know, it's again, Karate Kid two. When they see the 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 advertisement for Sato and he's chopping the log in half, right? And he goes, "Could you do that?" And Mister Mag goes, "Don't know. Never been attacked by tree. Like, <laughs> could you fight a statue? I don't know. Like, I've never been attacked by a statue before. <laughs> what kind of question is that? I know, kidding. But I did. I did like it. It's a lot of fun. The fight scenes are. Barring the ridiculous weapons and ridiculous deaths, the fight scenes are so well done, especially the ones that are kind of played for laughs, like we were talking about when like the police come in and they're just kind of slapping each other. Right. Um, Which is funny because, yeah. you know, Fusheng got his head in, you know? <laughs> yeah. Technically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I liked it. Yeah, I love this movie. I thought it was really enjoyable. You know, like many of these films, it's very confusing, but repeated watching, you know, at least a second viewing, it kind of makes more sense. Um, you know, even though, you know, I, I didn't really know a lot of these all-stars. They, a lot of them were familiar faces, which I think this movie probably or most likely had more of an impact in Hong Kong when it came out to the audience. Um, but it was fun to see all these guys together. You know, I can't wait to see some of these guys in, in starring roles in other movies. Uh, I definitely, I recommend this. Um, but as a standalone Venom film, like if you're going to introduce someone to the Venoms, I don't recommend this movie only because it's confusing and, and all the, who these guys are as actors is going to be lost on you. I think it only really works if you've been kind of following along with what we've been doing and, you know, watching some of the films that we've talked about before and then watching this movie. Yeah, and, and I also, you want to have their first introduction be something that's a little more grounded in reality. Yeah. You know, like the, the, um, the, uh, seven Shaolin one. Jesus, why can't I remember that? Uh, like one of the first ones we watched, you know, the one where the guy, like, oh, the invincible Shaolin? The the what is it? Is that the one where the guy has like all the shit like scribbled into his back with a knife, and then he runs forty miles just to exposit <laughs> so. and dies? Yeah, that one. That gives you a better idea of what you're in for, and I think like the way that we've done it, um, because these this has been my introduction to these films. Yeah, uh, I, I I I I would recommend something like that, not 
don't start with this one. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, folks, so we're going to take a break here, and next up is The Five-Man Army from 1969, starring Bud Spencer and Peter Graves. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't. Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast.
Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Bring out the prisoner, I can't stay here all day. It was a perfect day for an execution, and the whole town was ordered to attend. But some men don't care much for executions. Unless they do the killing. Five men, lowdowners, turn a murder into a massacre. They had half a million dollars to gain and only their lives to lose. The five-man army. Their job had to be done quickly and silently. And when they were finished, they had each other's greed to contend with. Peter Graves, James Daly, Nino Castelnuovo, Bud Spencer, and Tetsura Tamba as Samurai. We're all gonna get killed, Dutchman. All of us. Some men die for money, some die for causes. They're gonna die for us. Okay, before we get into Five Man Army, I actually, I, I was, we took a break here and I was just thinking of a couple things I wanted to mention about uh, Ten Tigers that I didn't really think of before. But uh, one is, I really, really liked uh, Lu Fang's character. Like, he's like the dock master or whatever, uh, harbor master or something. And I, I just would like to see more about that character. I wish they had done a movie with just his character, just to see how he got where he was. Um, I want to see more movies where... <laughs> Large amounts of men are captured in nets. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to mention. That, that's the other thing I was going to bring up is that I thought that was cool how they dropped the nets on those guys. But then a bunch of guys just jump up from under the water and pull the nets and pull the bad guys into the water. How the hell long were those guys hiding underwater for Lu Fang? <laughs> long enough. Long enough. Oh, my God. That was freaking hilarious. <clears throat> All right, why don't you jump into the, the synopsis then? All right, so this film, <laughs> The Five-Man Army, uh, or in Italian, Un Esercito di Five, I don't know what five is, Cinco, Cinque, Cinque, Yomini, uh, is uh, an Italian, they call it Zapata Western film, 
uh, spaghetti Western from 1969. Nice. Uh, regarding the uh, group of five men who are trying to rob a train of a gold shipment during the Mexican Revolution. So Mexican rebels hire the Dutchman to rob a train carrying $500,000 in gold, mostly gold like sand. Uh, I was expecting gold bars, not yeah, me too. sand. Uh, on back, excuse me, on behalf of Victoriano Huerta to finance the Mexican Revolution. They're going to buy guns and, and ammunition. Dutchman then enlists four other men to assist him, promising to pay, promising to pay each of them a thousand dollars. They are Masito, a strong man on the run for cattle rustling, with played by uh, our, our our good buddy uh, Bud Spencer. And <laughs> let me just say, Bud Spencer, with I'm hoping an overdubbed Spanish accent, was so jarring. Um, <laughs> uh, He's on the uh, strong man on the run for cattle rustling, although he's feeding chickens in this. Luis, a circus acrobat turned outlaw, played by Nino Castelnuevo. Uh, Augustus, who is played by James Daly. He is a former army officer and explosive specialist, told that uh, depending on, you know, if you tell him what you want to blow up, he'll tell you how many pieces it'll come, it'll blast into. Right. Uh, he he served uh, in the same unit as Dutchman and a samurai warrior referred to as samurai uh, played by Tetsuro Tamba, uh, who is earning a living in a sideshow throwing knives. And again, we've touched on this quite a few times. Super racist to just call the the Japanese guy samurai and not get him. <laughs> Any speaking lines. Right. <laughs> Super racist. Uh, so immediately after they assemble, their first undertaking is to save the rebel leader who hired them from being executed. After rescuing him and causing a riot in the village, which, okay, they sniped the firing squad but didn't think to snipe the guy who was sitting on the horse orchestrating the whole thing, who, while people were singing, because this is their rebel leader, he decided, you know what? They should shut up. Uh, go bash that old woman in the face with the butt of your rifle. <laughs> that threw me. I was yeah. like, wow. All right. It's that kind of movie. <laughs> they just like walked up because she was the first one. And they're like, shut up. And she's just like, not even singing, humming, and they bashed her in the face with the butt of the rifle. I was like, all right, here we go. Uh, the five men are forced to flee along with the villagers uh, in order to escape the army because, you know, it's like, yeah, we just killed all these guys. We should probably go now. Um, nevertheless, some soldiers, soldiers still manage to find the five and bring them to the local army commandant. Mexican woman slips samurai a knife and the men manage to escape, killing the soldiers and dynamiting the fort's magazine, like all their their uh, their the gunpowder. Yeah, the ammunition. Yeah. Uh, uh, what's kind of glossed over is the woman who gives the knife to samurai uh, is nearly raped. You know, uh, she does have her shirt ripped off and you do see her boobs, which is something that you don't generally see 
in a movie from this era. Like this might be, I don't recall, like there's a lot of like implied nudity and stuff like that in these films. Yeah. But I can't recall the time, even though it was like for a flash of a second, I can't recall another time that uh, anybody was exposed like this. At least not in one of these Westerns, but yeah, we've seen that like in um, horror movies, they started to do that more and more. Oh, no, no, no. In, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, in horror movies. Yeah. Like that's that was like, especially around like the 70s and 80s, like that was the whole premise. Like, yeah, you know, the the innocent girl, you know, with her boobs out like. But in I'm, I'm talking in any of the spaghetti Westerns we've covered, I don't think we've seen that at all. Right. Like, again, even last week talking about um, what's her name there? Uh, Navarez. Neves, yeah. Yeah, Nieves Navarez. Uh, Nieves Navarro. Right. She, like, kind of owning her sexuality and, like, her promiscuity. Like, it's not, I wouldn't even want to call it promiscuity, but, like, just owning the fact that she's a woman and has sexual needs. Um, That was, uh, like, groundbreaking for the time. And, I know we uh, we're diverging a little bit here, but I just wanted to say because we talked about this last week and afterwards found out off air, uh, we were like, "Wow, you know, she looked really old in this." But we were saying how young she looked in uh, the Ringo films, yeah, which yeah. came out the year prior. She was twenty eight when that movie came out. Wow, and we're like, "Oh my god, she looked so old!" And it's like, no, they aged her up. They did a really good job. Now that we're thinking about it, because yeah. they made it look like she was in her like mid to late forties. Yeah. And that's sixties, mid to late forties, which is not the same as mid to late forties now. Cause I'm 40 years old and people that I've worked with on movie sets have been like, I would not have guessed you were 40. I would have said late twenties. Yeah. Cause like people in their 40, even people in their sixties. Now people are like, Oh, what are they like? 40, 45, like Keanu Reeves is 57. Oh my God. Yeah. But does not look like he's 50. You know what I mean? Right, like, yeah, the, the way people have aged and like the way they look as far as their age goes is a lot different. Like a 35 year old guy in 1950 is not the same as a 35 year old guy now. Right. Like 40 was considered middle aged at that point. Yeah. Like, oh, man, you're getting close to retirement. Like you'd have white hair and glasses. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, like you're an old you're an old guy. Um, so they managed to escape by blowing up the uh, armory. They're then tracked by a large group of mounted pursuers, but escape capture after coming upon a small group of rebels who are there to cover the fives escape. They know they will be unable to stop the soldiers, but they're willing to sacrifice themselves for the fives, which kind of blows, uh, Luis's mind. Yeah. He's like, it's like, they're willing to give their lives like they're not even getting paid. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, Peter Graves is like, Luis, do you like movies about gladiators? <laughs> I was waiting for that. Cito, <laughs> you ever seen a grown man naked? Because uh, all like looking at Peter Graves, all I could see was airplane. <laughs> Oh my god! I have some thoughts about that. I'll tell. I'll oh, talk about later. But yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he's like, yeah, some men are willing to die for a specific cause, and then Luis is like, yeah, but like every one of us 
like for every one of us, four of them died. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but they're dying for something. Uh, so the train carrying the gold is uh, heavily defended by a cannon uh, described as being able to hit a candle at like 300 yards or something. Uh, machine guns, tons of soldiers. The Dutchman's plan is to board the train, uncouple the car, carrying the gold without stopping it. Uh, the difficult robbery succeeds. And again, again <laughs> you want to talk about padding the runtime. <laughs> Samurai falls off the train and for a solid like five minutes runs after it and catches up. <laughs> they, <laughs> they could have slowed down. I mean, they do a little bit, but like they don't want to alert the soldiers as to what's going on. But like, dude fell off the train and then runs to catch it. And all I could think of was 1979 Superman the movie. Yes. Runs in front of the train. <laughs> but oh my God, it was solid five minutes of one long unbroken take of Samurai just like running down the tracks, realizing he's not going to make it and like trying to cut the train off. Oh my God. <laughs> um, not only that, Augustus drops a key piece of equipment and has to improvise because he drops the thing that's supposed to uh, dull the sound of the uh, dynamite exploding. Yeah. So he has to improvise and they use the bell from the train. So when the five return to their hideout, conflict rises amongst them because everybody's turning on everybody. Luis, Augustus, Macedo, and Samurai had all assumed they were going to take the gold for themselves, while Dutchman is like, nope, we're going to give it all to them except for the $1,000 you each get. Uh, he disarms the other four and explains to them that his motivation for supporting the revolution is because his wife had been executed by the soldiers since other members of her family were rebels. So the Dutchman is about to leave with the gold, but a bunch of soldiers come in and he's like, guys, I know I just screwed you over, but like a shit ton of soldiers came in. So like, can you help me out? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they do. They help him. And then they're like, ha we're going to take the gold back. But then like a thousand rebels show up. Right. Then Luis is like, you know what? I'm part of the rebellion, too. I'm uh, I'm on the, I'm on the revolution side. <laughs> I'm not like, wait, what? And then. uh the rebels treat them like heroes, like riding them off on their shoulders. And Augustus, Macedo, and Samurai start laughing. And they're like, yeah, all right. But then Samurai's uh, lady friend comes back and like they kind of headbutt each other instead of like smooching. Right. Because it's 1969 and you can't show uh, any type of interracial uh, affection. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Film. Like that would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, well, that and they basically, I mean, he barely looked at her and she was always looking at him. So they'd like, I don't know, I wouldn't kiss someone if I didn't really know them at first, you know? <laughs> yeah, but she he also killed like five men that, you know, had ripped her shirt open. Yeah, that's true. Like, in a fucking rage, he yeah. destroyed those dudes. He absolutely wrecked those guys. My only issue is that what about the uh, lady he was working with in the sideshow that he just left there? I know. I assumed it was his wife or something. Yeah. Like, or at least like sister, wife, somebody he knew in some way. <laughs> like thousand bucks later, bitch. Yeah. Uh, and, 
He's like, ah, oh, you have a contract with me. And he's like, threw a knife through the contract. It's like, okay, you threw a knife into the contract. That doesn't make it any less binding. Right. <laughs> you didn't rip it up. You threw a knife into it. So the guy can just pull the knife out and be like, yeah, you still owe me. And like, what do you think he's going to do to the girl? Right. Like, yeah, this that... is a fucking wild west. <laughs> that was something they didn't think of. No, but... you know, I will say I enjoyed this uh, the first time I saw it when it was called the A Team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was waiting for Peter Graves to be like, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> right. Like... <laughs> oh, man. And there's another show that this movie is a lot like, too, that we'll get into. But before we get into the, the cast and crew and all that, I, I just wanted to tell you. Um, what was really funny as I like I said uh, I tried to watch them twice so I watched this like Monday night and my grandson came into the room towards the end it was like when they were halfway through killing all the soldiers and he climbs up on the couch with a snack and he sits with me and watches the end of the movie and and they they get to the the town that's been abandoned and so I explained to him what happened to the town he goes oh I want to see that and I'm like, well, you want to watch it from the beginning? He's like, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, well, I got to watch it again to take notes. So let's watch it tomorrow night. So Tuesday night, we sat down on the couch and we put the movie on. And he, like, loved it from beginning to end. He's five. <laughs> Not to disparage the movie in any way that it, you know, it was geared towards kids. But, you know, he it, it reminded me when Spencer was six and he saw The Matrix and I told him what it was about and he wanted to watch it. And his jaw hit the floor and he was just like just like totally wrapped up in the film for the full two hours. So I was very impressed that I thought this movie worked that that's told me that this movie worked on several different levels. Like, you know, Aiden's into good guys and bad guys. And that's, he's like, okay, so those are the good guys. All right. And those are the bad guys. Now, are those soldiers good guys? You know, <laughs> just to uh shameless plug. Cause we keep talking about the matrix. Uh, this week's episode of Throwdown Thursday features Neo Nice, uh, and because uh, we're preparing for the fourth film, and Ash just watched all three movies plus the Animatrix for the first time. Awesome uh, to do this. It is called because uh, she was drinking tea, and I was like, "Oh, how do you know that's not part of the Matrix? How do you know it's reality?" Right. Uh, so the name of the episode is Reality Bites, but Bites is with a Y because computers. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Super clever. So you can catch that on Spotify. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely looking forward to that one. Shameless plug. I know that's <laughs> hey, supposed no. to be for the end of the show, but. <laughs> no, it's fine. That's awesome. People, we got to get more people listening to your shows and our shows and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this movie was uh, directed by Don Taylor. And that's a little bit in question. I'll get into that later. But um, he also directed Escape from Planet of the Apes. The Island of Dr. Moreau in 77, which is the one with Burt Lancaster and um, Michael York, I think, is in that one. Um, yeah, not the one with uh, a very oh, close to death Marlon Brando. <laughs> and Val Kilmer. And, no, was Val Kilmer in that? I think yeah. he was. And, oh, that was terrible. That was terrible. But anyways, no, this one was really good. And then uh, he also did Damien Omen 2. And mm. uh, The Final Countdown, which is that one about the... The um, the carrier with Martin Sheen. The carrier goes back in time. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I always confuse that with the Philadelphia Experiment. Right, right. I think they came out around the same time. Um, so, and he did a bunch of other films and TV shows. So he was kind of well known. Um, and of course, written by our favorite Dario Argento. 
Yeah, like that. I I have that in my notes because it's like, oh shit! Like, and who did the music for it? Ennio Morricone, the legendary Ennio Morricone. Like, of course he fucking did. But like when I saw that, because again, I don't watch the trailers. I don't do anything other than get like I go to IMDb and I get the poster art. And what's the first thing I said to you? Because it's Bud Spencer (laughs) with a hole in his shoe sitting in a hammock. What's the first which has nothing to do with the movie? What's funny is I think that's from another movie and that's like his cover picture on his website. And I said, I said, oh, looks like he's paying homage to Terrence Hill because that's like so many of Terrence Hill's characters. Right. Like they open up. He's got one shoe and is being dragged, not dragged, but like his horse is just walking in some direction and he's sleeping in the back. Yeah. <laughs> And the funny thing about that poster is not to get too far off topic, but um, I, I think I, I don't know if you saw it, but folks, if you get a chance to go to our uh, East Meets the West um, Facebook page, I had posted an article that uh, not an article. I'm sorry. It was a movie ad that I found purely. I was looking for something else and I saw that and I saw Bud Spencer. I'm like, oh, that looks cool. And so I posted it. And when I picked this movie, I did not realize that that was the same movie. And it was him. the The shot is him holding the dude over his head in the crowd of people fighting, which is again, you know, like I said, you know, we we get to see some familiar stuff, you know, him uh, closed fist bopping some dude on the back of the uh, on the top, top of the of head. head. Yeah. That's what he does. The only thing he didn't do, or maybe he did, and I missed it, was have a bunch of dudes like pig pile on him, and then he like. Yeah. Stands up and throws them all off of him. Yeah, but everything else, like that's what he does. That's his uh, his bread and butter. Yeah, I had that in my notes that he didn't do that in this particular film. Um, but I did want to mention that one uh, co-writer for this was Mark Richards, and it's funny when you look at his IMDb. This is the only live action film that he's written. Everything else he did was like Saturday morning kids cartoon shows, like the uh, the original Ghostbusters, not not the Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd version, but the cartoons based on the original series from the 60s with that had uh, Forrest Tucker and Larry Storch in it with the gorilla. Yeah, the real Ghostbusters. Right. <laughs> um, he's written for He-Man, the Brady Kids, the New Adventures of Gilligan, Gilligan's Planet, and just a whole bunch of Saturday morning stuff. So I thought it was kind of weird that he, he co-wrote this film. I don't know how much he you know contributed to the script. Well, it's, it's like, um, what's his name that wrote The Exorcist? And the reason he wrote The Exorcist is because he was tired of being typecast because all he had written prior was Pink Panther movies. And they're like, oh, you can only write goofy comedies. And he's like, I'll fucking show you. Right, right. William, was and he William writes Blatty? The Exorcist. Yeah. Yes, William Peter Blatty. Yeah. He's, like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll just write The Exorcist. What do you think of that? <laughs> is that, is that different enough for you? <laughs> That's awesome. Oh man! So then, I'll of, show you. <laughs> so then, of course, um, as you mentioned before, we've got the 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 blonde, tall man who stands out in a crowd of Mexicans, Peter Graves, as the Dutchman. Um, he's basically like in this. He was the Jim Phelps of the Wild West in this movie, you know, because we know him as Jim Phelps from Mission Impossible and that show biography that he hosted. But um, he's in a slew of movies, and as we mentioned, he played Captain Over in Airplane and Airplane Two. 
And I'm going to say the first third of the film, it was hard for me to get his lines of dialogue from Airplane out of my head. Like, I kept thinking, all right, give me ham on five and hold the mayo. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So did you, um, did you think when he was going around the table introducing everybody and he's the guy who does this and he's the guy who does that, I kept expecting after the last guy him to turn to a midget and introduce the midget. <laughs> like, I was waiting for... Uh, for for yeah. again, this reminded me so much of the A team, and obviously this came out long before the A team. Yeah. But like, because even Peter Graves looked like the guy who played Hannibal Smith. And yeah, then you George had, Papard. Like, uh, yes, I couldn't think of his name, and like, you know, obviously, Bud Spencer is B. A. Baracus, right? And you know, and then. You had uh, Luis would be face. Uh, geez, I didn't even think of it that far. It was just the the scene where they were starting to put everything together before they went to the trains. Reminded me of like I have that in my notes as an A team montage. You know what else? <laughs> you know what else? This this kind of throws throws me uh, something you said about the last movie, like an Ocean's movie. It's like all right, we got the, we're putting the crew together. Like this guy's the explosives, and this guy does yes. this, and yeah. That, yeah. That that's where uh, I drew the uh, oceans comparison. Yeah, yeah, and you know I don't want to get too far into the plot here, but um, uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, um, well we'll get to it. We'll get to it later. So forget that. Um, but then we've got Bud Spencer, as you mentioned, who plays Macedo. He's the violent muscle man. You know, I mean, what can we say about him? He's so frigging awesome. Um, uh, didn't use his signature move there, but he's got several signature moves. So. Uh, but I thought that was his voice. Was he dubbed? Because he was speaking English. His lips were talking English. Yeah. I, see, I wasn't sure because it was very. Um, it was very. The accent was jarring because we're used to like him just having like this gruff, burly voice. Right. Because uh, I thought that was his Italian accent. So I'll have to go look at an uh, interview with he him. He was supposed to be he was supposed to be Mexican. Like it was oh. a bad Mexican accent, which is what that's what I was saying. Okay, I didn't get that. Interesting, interesting. Uh, we've got James Daly, as you mentioned, who plays Augustus. He's a, one of those uh past his prime demolitions experts. Um he was on a few episodes of Mission Impossible also. Uh, a bunch of films and TV shows. He's probably best known as the character Flint from the original Star Trek series episode Requiem for Methuselah. Methuselah Syndrome. And <laughs> he was also in the original Planet of the Apes film where he played on Honorius. Honorius. Um, and then Nino Castel. I have to rewatch that. And... Yeah. Because I've seen that one a bunch of times. I'm guessing he's one of the uh, orangutans. Yeah, I don't. I don't really remember Honorius, so I have to. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah. What, yeah, go ahead. Uh, was it Edward G. Robinson was one of them, or I think he was supposed to be one of them. Uh, Paul Williams is the one that always pops in my head. I mean, aside obviously from Rodney, Rodney uh, McDowell. McDowell, yeah, Rodney. I said Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> Rodney McDowell. <laughs> and it's a uh, Nina Castelnuovo. Castelnuovo, thank you. It's Luis. He's the unscrupulous acrobat slash bank robber. Um, uh, he's been mostly in Italian movies and TV shows. He did have a small part as an archaeologist in the flashback sequence of the English Patient, or one of the flashback sequence, which I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Do you ever see the English Patient? 
No. Oh, I love that movie. I kind of want to watch it again now. Um, but Nino, uh, he retired from acting in 2016, and he just recently died in September. So that was interesting to find out. Um, and then, of course, Tetsuro Tamba, who plays Samurai, is the expert knife thrower. Which, by the way, in that scene that you referenced where he quits his job, he all his knives are in the board. He he doesn't go and retrieve them, yet he has them somehow again with this cool, you he know. probably got new ones. I suppose. <laughs> with this cool Because when he left, he didn't he even wears. have a shirt, if you remember. That's true. <laughs> Oh, man. He was in a, a lot of Japanese samurai films, so he probably didn't mind being called samurai. Um, he had a bit part in the Japanese horror film Kwaidan, which, again, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's, it's like a four-hour-long anthology horror film, and he's in one of the segments. But I saw this, God, 20, 20 years, over 20 years ago, the early 2000s, and I remember really enjoying that film, even though it's a slow burn and it's like four hours long. I think I was homesick with pneumonia, and my wife was out or whatever, and I just watched it for, like, the whole four hours. <laughs> nice. Um, he's, he was also in the Bond film, You Only Live Twice, uh, which was just a year before this movie. And uh, another one from 78 called Message from Space, which is this whacked-out, cheesy sci-fi movie. Um, but I really liked him here. You know, he had no dialogue, like you said, except for his laughing at the end, which I wouldn't consider that really dialogue, but... I, I thought he was cool. He was like that strong, silent type, you know? Yeah. See, now you're making me want to watch Planet of the Apes again. Unfortunately, I have all of them on DVD. I actually did start watching the uh, newer trilogy again. Oh, yeah. I got to watch that. I, I remember the first one with James Franco very well, but this, the other two I don't remember all that well. I'd have to rewatch those. Jason Clark and uh, uh, Gary Oldman are in the second one. Yeah, that's right. I remember that, Gary Oldman. And Malfoy is one of the bad guys in the first one. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tom Felton. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, and it's funny. When I picked the films for today's episode, uh, the Shaw Brothers one was easy because it was the next one on the Venom list. So um, I was looking through my list of what ones I had available, and I just kind of randomly picked this one. And actually, because it said Five Man Army, it made me think it was the Chuck Connors movie that I think I mentioned on our primer episode um, and I didn't even realize it that it was Bud Spencer until I sat down to watch it and that it that was the one, the same thing as the movie ad that I found that I posted on our Facebook page. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And, of course, the 5 and 10 titles, didn't I didn't even realize until I was doing my notes. <laughs> well, how about this? How about this? This is going to blow your mind. The production company for Five Man Army? Yeah. Tiger Tiger Film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, how about that? That's wacky, huh? <laughs> that really is weird. I know MGM distributed it, but I didn't know that. That's so MGM cool. is the lion. Yeah. <laughs> no, all you, and all you need now is a bear. Right, there you go. <laughs> I have to say, when I first watched this, I didn't, like, we got to the A-Team montage. I didn't quite get what they were doing. I went to, it, it took me a, uh, through the second viewing. Well, I, I mean, by the end of the film, then I figured out what they were doing. But when I rewatched it again, I actually liked that scene even more because I knew what they were doing. Because they, they don't really spell it out. They just they just say this, the plans off screen, and then you see them doing their stuff. I mean, did you get that at all? Or did you figure out what they were doing? I... <sighs> 
they didn't even really describe what their plan was going to be that I I could recall. Like, yeah, they were never like, all right, so we're gonna dress up, for, we're gonna steal a car, shoot all. And I thought what was gonna be their downfall was the fact that you know, and Game of Thrones did this as well, where they took uniforms from people that they had killed, but those uniforms had blood and like gunshot holes in them. Yeah. Which you I know, like that I detail. See, if I see somebody wearing something, oh my God, are you all right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. Why? Well, all the blood, but where your heart is and the hole. <laughs> Did someone shoot you in the heart? What? Oh, no. I took this from the guy that I shot in the heart. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, get a medic because I'm not a spy. Like, well, I was glad they had that attention to detail because I for, I, I was worried that it was going to be like one of those movies where they forget and then the guys, the, the uniforms are like pristine. And it's like, wait, no, you shot that guy <laughs> before you took his uniform. But it looked like like they had all the straps that they needed, that the straps were wrapped around them. So whatever, like the bags they were carrying and stuff, I think that kind of covered over the bullet holes. Yeah, but they were also underneath the train and they were far enough away that they could weekend at Bernie's all the <laughs> that was great hey wave at your friends <laughs> <laughs> but I mean like... when when they were walking to the train they had the straps covering the uh the the holes yeah but I, I that's what I thought was going to be like that's how they were going to get caught oh, oh I see yeah yeah and then Peter Graves was smart because he was he would tell the guys to stand at attention so they wouldn't look at him so I think that was like an extra level of protection against being spotted. It was also the thing that I liked, uh, you know, I think one of the smartest things was uh, when Luis is stealing the guy's identity to get out of Mexico or into Mexico. I don't know wherever the, through the checkpoint. Yeah. Either way, when he's trying to get through the checkpoint and he steals the garlic from the guy in front of him. <laughs> So the guy like looks away, doesn't get a real good look at him. Yeah. And doesn't notice that he's the dude from the wanted poster. Right. <laughs> but I thought that was weird, too. I, I didn't realize like I, I only thought, you know, hardcore Italians like myself and my daughter ate raw garlic. I didn't think other cultures did that, too. <laughs> I mean, is... garlic is delicious. Oh, it is. Oh, man. You know, and one other thing you mentioned that they steal the truck. I must be slow in the uptake lately because I didn't even realize that this took place in the early 1900s. I didn't notice the cars at the beginning, even though Luis got on the truck. <laughs> I still it wasn't until they stole it. I'm watching the movie going, wait a minute. How do they have a truck in the Wild West? And then every time they kept talking about the revolution, I realized that oh, the Mexican Revolution was uh, was like from 1910 to 1920 or something. So I'm like, oh, OK, that's when this takes place. Yeah. And then they, I went they, back and watched it and I saw the cars. <laughs> yeah, you had to crank it up. Yes. <laughs> it was so it was funny cuz I told you my grandson watched it and he's like that's how they started started up trucks back then. I'm like, yeah, that's how you had to start it. <laughs> yeah, the old you know, uh truck crank, crank truck. Right. It's like spinning the propeller on the plane before it to start the engine. Yeah. Oh man. But the the getting to the Marconi score, um, first of all, I thought this was one of his best scores. I really liked it. Um oh, so good. Oh my god, it was. And the funny part was 
uh, the scene where they're escaping from the jail. Um, at that point, Peter Graves ceased for me ceased to be Captain Over from um, Airplane, and he was Jim Phelps from Mission Impossible. And dar- gosh darned it, if I didn't re- realize it, the music sounds like Lalo Schifrin's score from the TV series from Mission Impossible while they're escaping from the jail and he was totally in mission impossible mode and it was just like it was so cool like that just added to it because i've listened to schifrin scores uh, you know tons of times over the years and i'm very familiar with the mission impossible score in fact when i watch the new movies michael giacchino puts in little bits here and there from the original score in as part of the music like not even little bits like chunks i didn't notice that because that wasn't something i ever like watched as a kid oh okay like, i haven't really seen the movies either so i wouldn't have picked up on that but like it's cool that you did like because that's that to me is interesting yeah yeah and there was one of the reviews i read and it was said something about this being a um this this movie is an impossible mission that these guys managed to pull off you know or something like that um, but yeah, that whole, that whole breakout scene, um, it was just like, okay, now we're in, uh, and the whole, I mean, think about it. The whole plot is an impossible mission. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> there's no, like, and they even say like multiple times that like, there's, there's no way that this is going to work. And you know, Bud Spencer's like, all right, I quit. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Screw this. You guys are on your own. I, I just, uh, yeah, I, it was just so thrilling through the whole thing. And, um, you know, one thing, too, the filmmakers were trying to copy on purpose, trying to copy movies like The Magnificent Seven and The Dirty Dozen and The Wild Bunch. Uh, yeah, this absolutely was The Magnificent Seven, but with five guys. Right. right. <laughs> the Magnificent Seven minus two. <laughs> yeah. But that's why they try to get TV stars like Peter Graves and uh, Daly. And uh, at this point, Bud Spencer was on the cusp of being a megastar in Italy and uh, Tetsuro Tamba had just been in You Only Live Twice the year before. Um, but I read conflicting things. And I read that Don Taylor, the director, abandoned the project uh, about halfway through. And the producer, Zingarelli, uh, directed the rest of it. Yet another place said that uh, Dario Argento and Peter Graves stated that Taylor was the director, just like credited. Um, yet Daniela Giordano... Uh, who was the the hot chick in this, I believe, she remembers Taylor only being there on the first day of shooting before Zingarelli took over. So I don't know what the heck happened here. Yeah, I, and it seems like one of those things where there are so many different conflicting reports that you're not going to get to the bottom of it. it. Maybe they just wanted certain people to get credit and other people, you know, maybe they did have another director come in, but he wasn't um, wasn't all that good and didn't treat the crew the way they should have, you know, sort of like a, a, a Joss Whedon, uh, Zack Snyder situation. Right. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we don't want, you know, Western Joss Whedon to get any credit for this. Right. <laughs> oh man. Uh, one thing I did read online, I thought was interesting that it was set in Mexico, but filmed in Spain and it was bankrolled by MGM, the same folks who brought you the popular Duty Dozen, because they were undoubtedly hoping that lightning would strike twice. So I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, I, I think it worked. I didn't really, the, the, the comparisons didn't bother me at all, because I was just enthralled through the whole thing. Yeah, I, I thought, um, you know, it, to me, knowing that it was a, a very similar 
plot had nothing to do with my enjoyment of the film. Right. Because it's like, there's a lot of these, you know, we had that Lee Van Cleef movie where he was like the bad guy who killed the, the, the kid's family at the beginning. And then like came back to help him against like all the guys later on. And yeah, you know, like they fought like, a like overwhelming odds. Like there's a lot of, uh, a lot of Westerns that, you know, kind of lean into that trope. Yeah. Yeah. What I want to know though is where did how did Dutchman know where to find the four guys? You know, what's his name? Bud Spencer's feeding chickens on a farm somewhere. Probably <laughs> the internet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the telegraph internet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it took him five days just to get one page loaded. <laughs> but Oh yeah, and the the lady getting hit in the face with the gun. I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Did not expect that. It's like, oh, you just got busted right in the chops, lady. It reminded me of the old lady in Blazing Saddles that's getting punched, and she goes, "This town has turned to shit." <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that one. That was wild. Like I couldn't believe that they just like right in the mouth with the barrel of the gun. Yeah. And then Bud Spencer just doesn't go with the guys. He wants to fight the soldiers, and he fucking throws the rifle with the bayonet like a spear. Yeah, I was waiting for, for you to talk about Like, after he bonks the guy on the head, yes. like, turns around and, like, javelins the guy through the chest with a goddamn bayonet. That was awesome. Like, are you serious right now? Oh, Ugh. man. It didn't matter if it wouldn't have worked. It was It was cool. Well, it's like, what is it? Uh, uh, Anchorman. You killed a man with a trident. <laughs> oh, man, there's so much to love. Like, I, I was like, when when they were killing all those soldiers, you know, the good guys, I just refer to them as the good guys, the five. Um, and they rescued the leader there. And then they shot the, you know, the resistance leader. And then they shot the, the bad guy leader. Um, I was like, okay, folks, time to attack. And then they did. They jumped right in. It's t- it was like a free-for-all as they basically t- took down all the soldiers. It also seemed like some of them were like, they were like fighting amongst themselves at certain points. <laughs> Maybe it's like, no, I want to punch that guy. No, I want to punch that guy. Get out of my way. <laughs> That's it, Harvey. That's the last time you steal my my jokes. Right. And like... And they just, oh man! And it it wouldn't be a, a Bud Spencer film without beans. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to have beans. As soon as I saw it, I was like, "Yep, he's gonna be slopping, and he, and he has to eat at like 150 miles an hour, right?" With like five rolls of whatever it was that they were eating, mushing them like, into the beans, like burritos. It looked like oh, okay. they, and like I'm sitting there, and like they piled all these, and I hadn't eaten anything yet. Like I had had like a. a granola not even a granola bar they're like these little like muffin bars yeah like that's what i'd eaten all day and i look at ash and i'm like i'm weighing out amino acids and i look at her and i go do you want taco bell tonight <laughs> like we literally got taco bell. that's hilarious that's funny yeah i didn't even know what they were because i don't eat mexican food <laughs> yeah i was like oh man that looks like it looked so good too and it's like authentic mexican stuff and they're just like piling it in front of them and they're just like <laughs> mowing down on them like like yeah this is uh 
And then and Peter Graham's like, all right, we're leaving right now. It's like, ooh, uh, yeah, you guys are going to have to stop. I was going to say that. I'm like, wait, don't they get a bathroom break before you go hit the road? Like, you're going to, you're, I mean, I don't know. They're cowboys. They're probably just like shit, like in their saddle and just like <laughs> deal with it and wash themselves in the creek. I'm like the samurai guy because he loved, he hated the beans, but he loved the wine. <laughs> And he wasn't even sure about the wine. He like takes a sip and he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the stuff. This oh, is man. the stuff. But it was. But Bud Spencer liked the wine, too. Yeah. He, yeah. Threw the, 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 he threw. It's like the, the classic Jetsons joke where she takes the wallet and right. leaves him with like the single bill. Yeah. Like glass of wine. Now I'll take this. I'll take this like vase full of wine which is the same thing philip quack did in 10 tigers he's like hey bring me wine and i drink a lot and they're like all right here you go i was waiting for it to spill all down him say what like i was waiting for either one of them drinking out of these giant vessels for it to just like pour down their chest like (laughs) it always happens to to do whenever guys are like i'm gonna drink excessively and be ridiculous i know yeah they do that a lot in these movies where it's just like the guy's slopping the drink down and it's dribbling all down his chin. It's like, how are you even getting any in your stomach? I just squeeze my shirt out later. <laughs> it's delicious mixed with trail dirt and sweat. Right. You know, one thing I thought was interesting, too, in this movie was um, uh, when they're kind of doing like i think it was probably shortly after they would do in the the the, the a-team montage of starting to set things up and get it ready um you know hiding all the fake tracks so that the the first train doesn't see them and but uh augustus's speech about how things had changed reminded me of henry fonda's similar speech in my name is nobody you know it it was the whole thing about well the it's the early 1900s and the Wild West is no longer wild, you know. And then he looks at Peter Graves. He's like, yeah, we're all going to die. And I, that made me worried. I was like, oh, they might all die. <laughs> well, I mean, if you were sticking by the Magnificent Seven storyline, like a lot of those guys died. That's true. Yeah. You know, or the Great Escape, you know, stuff like that. You're like those types of, you know, ensemble cast, like not everybody makes it to the end. Yeah. But oh, these guys were fine. Everybody was okay, which yeah. I guess I I get because they needed to have that specific reveal at the end where like, oh, I'm double crossing you. You can't double cross me because now I'm on your team. See, like, right. <laughs> so it's it's uh, it makes sense story wise. Yeah. But st- I still can't get over Samurai running like a four minute mile to catch up with the train i that i was on the edge of my seat in that because i did not think he was going to make it in time i thought something bad was going to happen to him i was waiting for them to like you know they kind of telegraphed dropping the the dynamite thing when they were like he's like oh i gotta make sure i keep all of these because what happens oh no they'll hear us in new mexico like yeah he should have made a third one just as a backup come on people yeah yeah, you, know, you never do exactly what you need. You always do a little bit extra. Right. Like when I when I, you know, go away anywhere, even if it's like an overnight for a hotel, I calculate how many days I'm going to be away and I pack one extra set of clothing beyond those days. So if I'm going to be away for three days, I have four sets of clothing just right. in case. You know, 
in, in you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to be gone for four days. I need 15 pairs of underwear just in case I shit myself 11 times. <laughs> like you never know what's going to happen. Because um, sometimes you think it's a fart and sometimes it's not. <laughs> you never know when you're going to get amoebic dysentery. Ew. Like, and just all of a sudden, like that's what happens. And it's like, oh, man, I'm now I'm glad that I have 15 pairs of underwear for a four day trip. Right. Well, especially these guys going to Mexico drinking the water, you know, drink the wine. Don't drink the water. Or you'll be on the bowl for five days. Well, it's like the uh, the here's another reference that people are probably going to be like, whoa, that's out of left field. Uh, Sex in the City, the uh, first movie where they're in Mexico and uh, Charlotte York, played by uh, Kristen Davis, is in the shower and she opens up her mouth and actually accidentally drinks some of the water and realizes, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. And uh. as she's running back to her room, as they say in the movie, Poughkeepsie's in her pants. Oh, right in front of all of her friends, shits her pants right in front of all of her friends, and they all laugh their ass off at her, which oh they God. needed because Carrie just got left by big at the altar. Oh, jeez! In, in the in the finale of the 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 last season there. So, oh, that's funny. I've never watched that. Oh, it's a good show. It's <laughs> they uh, they just came out with the uh, the new season after many years off. And, oh, really? Yeah, and Ash was watching it last week and was bawling because yeah. of something that happened to somebody and like she wasn't the only one there were tons of people online just going oh my god wow i can't they did that i was not ready for that um and see how easy it is to not spoil things right see how easy it is? oh somebody, yeah somebody spoiled <laughs> spider-man earlier for me today uh, uh they're like oh i saw it and here's what i thought about it and uh, this is the part that i liked the best and it's like I, I unfriended them on the spot. Yeah, yeah. There's no reason for that. It's like that's a that's a dick move. It's like, hey, thanks for dropping that spoiler right there. And you know, <sighs> you saw it. No one else did. So <laughs> why don't you go outside and play a nice game of hide and go fuck yourself? Yeah. Uh, <sighs> that but sucks. see how easy it was. Like I didn't spoil what happened in that show, even though you don't watch it. Maybe somebody right. does. Well, and that's like with Game of Thrones. You know, I've only seen the first season, and I know that there's something that happens in a later season because I've seen videos of people watching it. Like, one guy's seen it, but his girlfriend hasn't, and all of a sudden she, like, screams. It's like, like, I don't know what it is, and I still don't know what it is, and I'm looking forward to someday finding out on my own by watching it, and I've been able to avoid that. You know, I don't read anything about it because I don't know what that shocking moment was that rocked the whole... Uh, you know, Game of Thrones fan community. <laughs> it could be a, a handful of things, but I'm there's one specific thing that if it was me when it happened, it's like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe like they went there. It was along the same lines as Jesus, I can't believe they just bashed that lady's face in <laughs> with, a, with the butt of a rifle. <laughs> You know, one of the quick tangent I wanted to bring up because you reminded me of it talking about, you know, drinking the Mexican water when uh, when they were shooting the movie African Queen with Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. Uh, yep. You familiar with that? I, I had the my mom gave me the book when I was a kid. Oh, OK, the movie's great. The movie's really good. Um, but uh, all the cast and crew uh, drank the water. They were actually shooting in Africa. Um, and uh, they all got uh, whatever you call it, like a stomach virus or whatever. They were sick for days, except for Humphrey Bogart and John Houston, the director, because all they drank was alcohol. <laughs> so yep. they were fine. Just drank booze. You don't ever drink water. Right. 
Oh, my God. All right. So getting back to this, I had a question for you. All right. Let's pretend that you, Patsy the Angry Nerd, have signed on a Dutchman's plan. And you're going to go with him, and you're going to strap yourself under a train and go through the whole thing. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Wouldn't you... And, and all right, and part of it is you have to steal the uniforms of the other guys so you can infiltrate the place. Wouldn't you take the hat and like stuff it inside your jacket or something so it wouldn't fall off while you're under the train? Um, probably. Like <laughs> I would do something. I would at least wear it. Well, that's what they did. Thing. They wore. I'm like, but I, I was just waiting for one of their hats to fall off, and that was going to somehow foil the whole plot. You know. You know what I? You know what I would do? I'd be like, all right, Dutchman, how long is this trip? Like, oh, it's, you know, two hours. All right. Wake me up like an hour in. Right. <laughs> well, they went in at night, too. And we don't know what time of night it was. It could have been like seven or eight o'clock. And then it wasn't until the next day that the train left. It's like they had to sleep on those stupid straps. Yeah, but that's I imagine it's like a hammock. Uh, I suppose. Yeah. Because I didn't even know, like, I'm like, what the, all right, so they're under the train, what are they doing? And and when they first showed, like, one of the guys, I'm like, is he literally, has he been just holding on with his hands and feet all night long? And then I saw the straps, and I was like, oh, Yeah, I was know. wondering, that. I'm like, really? Like, how, they're hanging out under, and how is it that lady was just, like, watching her kid wave at something under the train, and <laughs> was it like, what the hell are you waving at? And he's like, oh, that man, like, what man? Uh, the man under the train. Right. Did you not see that coming when they got out of the car and you're like, oh, my God, there's a short little kid there. He's going to spot one of them. Yeah. Like or a dog comes over and starts sniffing at him. And they're like, oh, I'll get away from there. <laughs> I thought I thought uh, Dutchman was going to like shoo him away. He just waves to him <laughs> and like continues to wave at him. Yeah. And wave at him. And wave at him. Right. He's like, go away, kid. Go away. Like, Jesus, are you padding the runtime? Like, what is going on? Why is this taking so long? <laughs> I wonder, because this movie was only, what, an hour and a half, I think, right? So. It's, yeah, it's like an hour, hour, 40 minutes. Yeah. Like, and they're just, like, certain things are they're just taking their time yeah. in doing. Like, did the food montage, like, them eating burritos and beans need to be that long? Nope. <laughs> How about the, uh, the you know, samurai, him falling off the train, running and catching up to it. Did that in any way affect the plot? No. No. Did it extend the runtime by about seven minutes? <laughs> Absolutely did. That was like, I had it playing on double speed, and I was like, this is going on forever. Ever. <laughs> that was one thing I was like, I, I wish they had done better. Is Yeah, obviously that could have been way shorter. And we didn't really get enough of a wide angle shot to, to get the, uh, the spatial relation between him and the train. And I wanted to just sort of see like a crane pullback. I mean, maybe they just couldn't do it. But see the train going around the track, around a corner or a curve, and him sort of doing a beeline, a straight line. To the front, you know, to cut the train off somehow. And you knew he was doing that based on the way the train was moving and the way he was running. But I just would have liked to see as more of an establishing shot of him, you know, doing that. Yeah, like if you could figure out exactly where the I mean, they kind of tried to do that where 
he took off running across the field and you saw the train going around the curve and you're like, okay, he's trying to intercept it at a specific point, but right. like he still didn't make it, but right. like managed to run up behind the train. And it's like, if you're fast enough to just run up behind the train, why don't you just do that? In the first <laughs> and then Phelps, Phelps, um, P- Dutchman was slowing it down too. But like not a lot, like he could right. only slow it down a little bit. Yeah. Because if they did it more, all the soldiers that were inside that train car that he fell off of where all the gold was right, would have noticed something. Right. I mean, at least they were locked in there because Luis had locked the doors on them so they couldn't get out. Although I was surprised if they must have heard the footsteps on the roof. Why do they didn't just start shooting up? Yeah. Like, how do you not notice that? And how do you again not hear the dynamite exploding? twice right like, oh the train whistle's going off we also haven't heard the bell in a while i wonder why yeah. <laughs> oh man but the the you know i thought it was very clever though you know the the way they did it did you think that the scene where they went into the tunnel when they emerged all the guys in the machine gun car were going to be dead yep yeah and that's what i was waiting for it's like oh hey tunnel let's kill them all <laughs> Uh, the I will say just to throw it out there, my favorite train uh, tunnel scene of all time is from Snowpiercer. I if you seen haven't that. seen that, no. Oh Jesus, you need to see that. <laughs> you need, no, you don't. It's uh, directed by Bong Joon Ho, who did uh, Parasite. Oh, okay, I haven't seen that either. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but Parasite's the one that won all the Oscars. Yeah. It's based on a French comic called Transpersonnage, which literally means snow, snow piercer. Um, <laughs> it's about a, it's the last remnants of humanity after um, the world is frozen over. And like, it's just, they just go around the world on this one long track and it takes them a year to make a full circle. Huh. And like, there's the people in the back, and it's like Chris Evans and Octavia Spencer and Ewan Bremner and Tilda Swinton and oh, uh, John Hurt from uh, Alien, who had yeah. the chest burster come out. Yep. Oh my God, this cast is phenomenal. Huh. Um, but I, I, I think it's on. It's either on Netflix or Hulu, and I one million percent recommend seeing it. It's a New Year's out. movie. Watch it on New Year's. Okay. In between the Three Stooges marathon. <laughs> well, you could watch it like, you know, during the day. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I have to check that out. I, every time we do a show, I have to. I have a um, list of movies at the bottom or shows that you recommend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so getting back to this and uh, the train sequence, did you... Oh, Dutchman kept turning his back on the the engine driver that was the non-revolutionary guy. Did you think that at some point that guy was going to try and cold cock him? Uh, you could tell he was kind of like a coward. Yeah. Like, you, you could tell he wasn't going to try anything. He was very timid. Yeah, that's true. He didn't look very happy, though. <laughs> no, he was like, oh, man, I wanted to drive the train. No, this guy's doing it. Yeah, <laughs> a big old jerk. And then there's Jeremy over there. I thought Jeremy was my friend, and you know, <laughs> he's a revolutionary. <laughs> it turns, yeah, it turns out he's a revolutionary. Oh man, 
But um, I just loved the whole that whole sequence because um, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't know what they were going to do. I thought when they stole the uniforms, they were going to just simply infiltrate the guys somehow. I, but I wasn't really sure what exactly the plan was. And I thought it was very creative because I didn't see it coming. And then, you know, they threw in the... And he accounted in his plan. He accounted for the time that something could go wrong. But he only yeah. he only gave it five minutes. <laughs> I do like how he had the extra watch because he knew Bud Spencer was going to break his. Right. And then, then he broke the other one. Because right. he told him to hang it around his neck. And then when those guys show up, he dives onto the gravel. <laughs> yeah, because he did. He's like, all right, I'm going to have a standoff with these guys. But I was like, again, a scene that didn't need to happen. Right. It was uh, just manufactured tension that didn't really propel the plot forward. All it did was have him be like, oh, no, I'm uh, I'm going to be slightly late getting all this stuff together. But like you could have just made him that he was going to be slightly late anyways, because he had all this shit to do by himself <laughs> in 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like you have to completely rebuild this train track that five guys took three days to do. You have 20 minutes to re re uh, refix it. Well, they, they set everything up. I think it was just a matter of he, they just didn't want the train to see the tracks curving off, which I don't understand why it's like the building was there. It could just be normal, but so I think they did it except for like the last few pieces and then they See, hid it. What I would, if I was that, that train guy, like, cause they had that, like the, the first train that goes through. Yeah. I would have been like, boy, look at all these plants and, and, and trees and things. Those weren't there a week ago when we came through here. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> That's kind of weird. <laughs> Which, by the way, is kind of funny, that first car, when you think about it, it's like it's only there because if it gets attacked or blown up, then the other car knows that something's not right. <laughs> you know what they are? They're uh, the uh, they're the um, the canary. The, yes. The canary <laughs> in the coal mine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I, I did like, okay, so the, the whole thing works and, you know, um, we're at the end and it looks like Dutchman and Luis are double crossing them, but then Dutchman's triple crossing them all. Um, but then he tells the story, which I thought was great. I really, because right from the beginning, I believed Dutchman all the way through. I never once thought he was going to keep the gold for himself. I and mean, it was kind of obvious the others are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to give it to the Mexicans, right? The revolutionaries. Yeah, right. And, yeah, you know, wink and nod. Bud Spencer said that. It was like, yeah, when I get my share, I mean, right. my thousand dollars. <laughs> but I was I was hoping against hope that, you know, because I, I hate movies when uh, you've got groups like this and they're all cool. Like that other one that we watched that had the group of, what, four or five guys and it none of them turned out to be a traitor. I liked that because it's such a trope and it just irritates me. It's like you want to you invest in these characters and then, like, all of a sudden, oh, it turns out Cypher is the traitor here, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, all right, but... Oh, you mean the weird, creepy guy was, <laughs> was, was, wasn't, was uh, you know, on the level the whole time? <laughs> weird dude that was stalking the only woman in the crew? Right. Like, really? <laughs> really? 
That guy was the bad guy? <laughs> Joe Pantoliano, the bad guy from the Goonies? <laughs> Joey Pantoliano. That guy? <laughs> that guy was the bad guy? You don't say. The Goonies. I love the, the Fratelli brothers because Fratelli means brothers in Italian. <laughs> yeah, they're the brother brothers. Yeah, and that's mama brother. Yeah. No, it's like Super Mario Brothers. Oh, my name's Mario Mario, and I'm Luigi Mario. Right. Like, shut up. And Agent Johnson, no relation, is uh, one of the brothers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the same guy. He's from Maniac Cop 2. Yeah. Oh, he's in tons of stuff. I can't think of his name now. Robert Davi. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but anyways, I liked Dutchman's story. I, it confirmed it for me as a, as a viewer. I was like, okay, yeah, he really is on the level about giving it to them. But I think, couldn't he have given them more and said, all right, guys, you know what? Here, I'll give you 5000 each. But I got to take the rest of this to the to the things. You can even watch me do it. I'm not stealing it, honestly. You know? Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah. Like, <sighs> out of half a million, I think he could have even spared 10 grand per guy. And, you know, nobody would have known. Especially or, because... Um, $1,000 at that point... Because what does Bud Spencer say he wants to do? I'm going to buy 200 head of cattle. So a fucking cow is $5. Right. <laughs> a cow. Yeah. An yeah. entire cow. Right. Not like a steak or a burger. Right. The whole thing. I'm going to buy 200 head of cattle. Why don't you invest in something you can't eat? Yeah, that was a great line. Like, they're like, all right, you're eating into your profits, literally. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but I was I was hoping that it would end the way it did, and I was I was very glad for the ending. I really liked it. I liked the fact, you know, I thought it was kind of funny where Luis again changes sides and says, "Oh no, I'm with the revolutionaries," and then, oh, that's where all the money is. Yeah. And then the revolutionaries actually showed up, which I didn't expect. I have to say, I'm like, I thought they were going to have like a, a standoff and they were all going to shoot each other. But um, so I was I was glad that that didn't happen. I was glad they all lived. Um, and then they were they were heroes at the end. And at that point, what are you going to say? Oh, they, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fine. Well, I mean, you know, it, it worked out. What was it? Was it that one? No, it was the... <laughs> One of the things we didn't touch on, like, oh, you should you should uh, leave and in, uh, in in the the tigers, uh, the tiger, the ten tiger film, yeah. Uh, and he's like, oh, I have good news for you. You won the lottery. Let's go, let's go get a bunch of food and then hit up the brothel. Right. You and me will do it together. It's like, wait a minute. Well, like we're not even friends. Like, <laughs> well, he said he won the. He said I won the lottery. And what I love is that the the brothel and the local restaurant are one and the same. <laughs> yeah, it's uh... <laughs> you know that that was an interesting scene too, where the girls like, all right, I'll I'll protect the guy, I'll, I'll I won't let anyone know he's here, but you got to pay off my debts and get me the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah, it, it... that I mean that made sense. But yeah, th this whole this whole thing the, 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 you could tell that Peter Graves was being like a little like sketchy 
Because every time they're like, oh, half a million. He's like, yeah, but it's going to the, it's going to them. And they're like, yeah, okay. And he's like, he didn't like say anything after that. He was always like, yeah, that's, that's the deal, dude. Like, that's where it's going. Right. <laughs> oh, man. The best, though, was through the whole last third, Bud Spencer's got that bottle of wine that he's waiting to celebrate, and they keep telling him, no, wait, wait, no, not yet. And then the little kid jumps out of the truck and steals it from him. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, like, oh, you want some booze? Yeah, let's, oh, let's, let's bust this open. And the kid's like, yoink, and runs off. <laughs> yoink. He doesn't want to drink the water and get sick, so he's just going to drink the wine. <laughs> oh, man. So, final thoughts on uh, the five-man army. I liked it. I mean, just from the title alone, I'm like, okay, this is going to be like A-Team meets the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. And I was like, all right, Peter Graves, okay, like, I, I'm definitely going to see him as you know, airplane and Kept just it over. Yeah. Like just, <laughs> I, that's what I was going to see the whole time. And, you know, I try, like, I know that like, this is the type of role he would normally be in. And that airplane was his step out of his comfort zone. Right. But I really only know him from airplane. So to me, this is his step out of the comfort zone because <laughs> that's what I'm familiar with. Yeah. Like about gladiators, like <laughs> you like it when scraps grabs your leg and rubs up and down. <laughs> like it's just so weird. No, the other phone, the white courtesy phone. <laughs> oh man, you know it's funny too. Um, uh, Le- uh, Spency has a problem with uh, watching Leslie Neil- watching Leslie Nielsen in non comedic roles. Because he's so used like to airplane. Like Poseidon Adventure? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was the captain in that. But I was thinking more of Day of the Animals, where uh, he basically goes insane. And it was really good, and I highly recommend that movie. It's a, you know, Animals Gone Wild film from the 70s. And, yeah, you mentioned that uh, last time. Yeah, it's so good. And <laughs> Spencer still had a problem. He couldn't shake the, uh, you know, <laughs> don't call me Shirley. <laughs> well, you know, and here's the thing that's that's kind of funny. Uh, in that same vein, um, in 1984's The Terminator, the original casting choice for The Terminator <laughs> was going to be O.J. Simpson. I know. But they were like, well, you know, we've seen him in the Hertz commercials and Police Squad and all that. Like, we just don't buy him as like this cold-blooded, ruthless murderer. Right. Oh boy! I think at that point he hadn't been in the Naked Gun yet. I think Naked Gun was like eighty six or seven, and Terminator was eighty. No, but he had. I think he had been on Police Squad, which is what Naked Gun was based on. No, I know he. No, he wasn't on Police Squad. All right, then he had definitely done those like wacky Hertz commercials. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was a running back. Like you could, you know, he he could still cut and run. Like that's uh, one of the things he was uh, known for. (laughs) But I'm pumped. You know, and it's funny when I'm doing my research into the newspaper ads and stuff, I'm constantly finding articles from back in the early to mid 70s about how awesome he was and what he did in this game and that game. It's kind of funny. I mean, he rushed for 2000 yards like one of only a handful of guys to do it. Like he was very talented. Yeah. And he was funny as Nordberg. (laughs) And you know what? Like he's still 
he's still selling merch. Like I ran a, a giveaway in my memorabilia group of an OJ Simpson uh, replica uh, Trojans helmet signed wow. signed and verified by him. Like I, I've given away a couple of those, like a mini helmet and uh, like, it's, it's wild. That's crazy. Yeah. I really, really love this movie. Um, it had me from beginning to end, had great action, uh, great cast. Uh, I definitely recommend this one. This one might be a good one for, like we said, the last movie, The Ten Tigers, uh, it's probably not a good one to start off with, but I think this might be a good one to sort of ease people into spaghetti westerns because if you think about it, it had an American director, or so they say, and, you know, a familiar American, well, a familiar American face with Peter Graves. So I think um, I think because of the, the humor in it and the action, um, you know, and if you can get over the airplane thing, and appreciate his Mission Impossible roots. I think it's, uh, you know, you'll find it very entertaining. Um, and high, I thought it was highly engaging from beginning to end. You know, like I said, my five-year-old grandson loved it on a different level. But, you know, he's a tough customer when it comes to movies. I'm like, oh, let's watch this. Oh, let's watch it. No, no, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch it. I'm like, oh, my God. But this, he sat down and watched it from beginning to end. I mean, he didn't get, you know, a lot of the adult material, which there wasn't there wasn't a huge amount, except for the boob scene, which I covered his eyes. He's used to watching good guys kill bad guys, and it wasn't very bloody either, this movie. No, I mean, the most the most blood you saw was uh, when Samurai goes in and, like, wrecks the commandant <laughs> and all his, all his uh, buddies there. Yeah, which I'm glad they delivered on that. Remember, I, I complained in Ten Tigers that they, they introduced uh, Iron Fingers and didn't do anything with it. Um, they, Peter Graves describes how samurai killed the guy in, uh, three seconds. Well, he says six four. Guys. Yeah. Six, six guys. Yeah it, was like, yeah. it was like a bunch of guys in like under a couple of seconds and it's like, and then they I showed him do the, it. Yeah. Like he was very fast and like, you know, again, very stereotypical, like, <laughs> like, Oh, he's, he's Oriental. So he's mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That like, mysterious uh, Orient, we don't know. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Samurai. Like, how much more? Like, that'd be like a plumber named Plumber. It's like, oh, what's your, what's your? Oh, my full name is Samurai Japan. Like, <laughs> like, could you make it any worse? Like. <laughs> We already dealt with that last week with Cuchillo Sanchez. Oh, Sanchez the knife. Oh, is it because he stabs people because he's a Mexican? It's like, oh, I killed this guy. Oh, that's not him. Oh, I was wearing the same shirt. Right. <laughs> now they all look the same. <laughs> you know, that samurai like, thing reminds me of um, that Looney Tunes cartoon where uh, Daffy Duck is is like the Sherlock Holmes type and Porky Pig is the uh, Watson. And they they encounter this killer the Shropshire Slasher and Porky Pig's interviewing him. He goes, uh, n- name? And he goes, Shropshire Slasher. Occupation? Shropshire Slasher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's wild, like, the shit that they would get away with. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for The East Meets the West today. You can check out more episodes as well as our sister show, Then Is Now Podcast, in which we discuss all the cool stuff you may have missed out on at our website, havenpodcasts.com. Be sure to click on our Patreon and Public links for some exclusive content and help support the show. 
That's right. And don't forget, folks, the East Meets the West is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network as well. So don't forget to check out all the great shows there at the dorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. Not just a clever name. You can also find me uh, on Facebook, on uh, the Throwdown Thursday Facebook group, the Loudest Sports Show Facebook group. Uh, you can also find the shows on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, wherever wherever you like to listen to podcasts, you can find Throwdown Thursday. And you can also check out uh, news and articles, including what does and does not constitute a Christmas movie from uh, a, a debate that I had last year with some folks on throwdownthursdaypodcast.com, where you can also find our latest episodes and articles. Awesome, awesome. And send us your thoughts on today's episode, please. We want your feedback. So you can send it to the East Meets the West 42 at gmail.com. And check out our The East Meets the West YouTube page at youtube.com slash user slash Uncle Death One. And you'll find all our podcasts there plus other fun stuff. And be sure to not only hit the subscribe button, but also share it with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. And make sure you go wherever you download your podcast. Uh, make sure you leave us a good review because the more views you give us, the more the algorithm kind of pushes us towards uh, the top and helps, folk, ho- helps folks find the show. That's how you say it. <laughs> and that'll uh, allow us to uh, let other people enjoy our uh, totally amazing uh, in-depth discussions on all of these uh, films and characters. Excellent, excellent. So please join us again on our next episode of The East Meets the West.
more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.